This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Joined, of course, by Jeffrey Simpson and of Terry South. Here to bring you the news, the latest, the greatest information, the stuff you need to know to make your life better today. No exception. We've got a lot to talk about. We will be uh, getting into um, Trump's day. What is it now? 11? 12? 12. Boy, it feels more like 90th day. And he's, uh, you know, he's still now dealing with all the immigration issues. But today's a big day. It's going well. It's going well. It's going really well. It's a big day today, apparently. I think, at, I think at this point, all the heads of the departments are aware of the executive order now. Yeah, now. It took a few days, but they yeah, got there. Which is the big problem, right? you got to inform your team about what you're doing. Come on. So we'll be talking about the old immigration order, but today is the day they're going to be apparently announcing a Supreme Court uh, nominee. Yeah. Who are they going to put up? And uh, interestingly, this was supposed to be done Thursday. Was what what Trump announced huh. months ago or a weeks ago, but he now they're moving it up a bit, and, and it oh, might man. you know maybe it's just to change the subject. You think? It's just change the subject. Get off the immigration. Now you've got all the tech companies that are coming out. Uh, Boeing's worried because it could lose twenty billion dollars in airplane deals. That's why I think this will run into some issues just because of the money. Oh yeah, that it's going to cause every industry in America. I mean, we appreciate Hollywood's help in trying to get everybody stirred up about this, but really at the SAG Awards, but really it may simply be um, Boeing losing twenty million dollars, the uh, the stock market losing value as well because of this. So. You know, Matt, I think what's happening is the president's learning or, or needs to now learn how to dial in his rhetoric because he's going to learn that it costs him in a way that it didn't cost him as a candidate. Yeah. Like now it actually costs Boeing money or it costs, um, you know, the tech companies a lot of money. So we'll we will be getting into all of that fun um, topic as well. And importantly, we're going to be talking about civic education. Do we prepare our children, our youth, to understand their role in the in the world of politics, in the world of democracy? Uh, our guest today would say, not really. We need to do a better job of that. And who better to do it than DeVos, who's being, um, I guess, hopefully, I mean, they're going to make a decision up or down on some of these people and get, get them either in or get them out. Get them out of the cabinet or get them in the cabinet. Right. DeVos is uh, is the nominee for Secretary of Education. And uh, we'll see. donated money to... She has a very rich family. And she's, Amway. Amway money. Amway money. And she's been, she, she's been on a, a bunch of boards and is very kind of pro-fixing education. It is interesting. The people... There's people that have influence because they donated money to organizations. And usually what would happen is you would appoint someone to be the head of the education department that the money was donated to, not the person making the donation. Yeah. Yeah. She made the donation. She doesn't have a lot of experience in education, but they right. know, depends on your point of view on what, what works and what doesn't. But. Well, she went to school, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. And probably good schools, you know, so she knows. She knows what you're supposed to 
do for education. We'll get to the, the concept of K through 12 civic education. How can we make some changes there so that we would be better at, at maybe voting, better at understanding the electoral process, all that fun stuff. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Just hours after acting Attorney General Sally Yates ordered the Department of Justice not to defend President Donald Trump's refugee ban. The Trump administration ousted her from office which you would expect. She's yeah. not doing what she's been asked to do. Yates, an Obama appointee, was tasked with serving as attorney general from Trump's January 20, uh, 20th inauguration until his own AG nominee was approved. On Monday evening, Yates announced that the DOJ would not defend Trump's ban on immigrants from seven Muslim-majority countries. While she was in office, hours later, the Trump administration issued a statement calling Yates weak and announcing uh, Dana Bronte, as her replacement, the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, had betrayed the Department of Justice by refusing to enforce her legal or a legal order designed to protect the citizens of the United States, read a statement by the Trump administration. Now, she's an appointee. She was just there to fill the gap yeah. until the next guy came in. So it's next, not like right. next person. Right. Now, the job of the attorney general on some level is to say, Mr. President, right. here's the legal or non-legal uh, and you don't, view of this. It's not known. It's not usually something you want to do as a president is manipulate yeah. policy of the department. But the Justice Department should be able to tell you no if something's not right. right. But in this case, she's an appointee. She's not even the person she's not even, the job. Yeah. So. Uh, staffers for congressional Republicans helped draft Trump's refugee ban without informing their employers. Then signed non-disclosure agreements, according to a report from Politico. The ban signed uh, the ban signed Friday evening reportedly blindsided GOP legislators who had not been consulted or informed of the executive order. These aides reportedly began working on the legislation during Trump's transition period before his January 20th inauguration. Their secret work and alleged non-disclosure agreements are highly unusual in Congress, where legislators complained of be, uh, being given no advance notice of the executive order. So their staffs are all not their you know. M- Staff members are working on it. It's their employees. They didn't know. They feel kind of like, what are you doing? What's going on? Why is this happening? Donald Trump is scheduled to announce his Supreme Court pick at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. Prime time. It's it's the prime time hour. This is as prime as it gets. It's when Obama would call if he wanted to address the nation. It It was at 8 Eastern. Prime time across the uh, U.S. So, I mean, it's it's a common thing. Right. The conversation is centered on the likelihood of two federal appeal court judges, uh, conservative Neil Gorsuch of Colorado and the more centrist Thomas Herdeman of Pennsylvania, who shares the U.S. Court of Appeals for the third district seat with Trump's sister, Marianne trump Barry. Several Democrats have vowed to block Trump's pick regardless of whoever it is. Oh, wow. You know, because. Yeah. On finally, authorities say 31 pounds of cocaine that was uh, accidentally discovered stashed in the nose of an American Airlines aircraft in Tulsa is worth around $434,000. Oh, Tulsa County Sheriff's Office spokesman said the plane arrived in Miami from Bogota, Colombia, on Sunday. It was flagged for maintenance and sent later that day to Tulsa International Airport, where American Airlines has a maintenance base. Mm. While working on the nose gear, an airline employee noticed what looked like a clump of insulation or a brick-like object and called the sheriff's office to inspect. Authorities discovered seven bricks of cocaine worth at least $14,000 a pound. Green said the case has been turned over to the uh, U.S. DEA. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, That would be terribly uncomfortable. (laughs) Kind of inappropriate. A little bit. 
What's that? Donald? That's Donald. Oh, that's, that's Donald. Donald. Yeah. That's Donald with the sniffles. Sniffing through the debates. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what that was. Um, hey, by the way, today is Backward Day. Backward Day. Ooh. So this is the day you play your records backwards. Um, Careful. It, uh, Backward Day has a really long history, far older than the name of the holiday itself. It's almost every culture – in almost every culture – there came a time of year when all the societal rules got turned on their head. Rome had Saturnalia, a day when all social norms were turned on their head. Gambling was no longer forbidden, and the masters took the day serving their slaves at the high table. Oh, wow. So this isn't a new thing. But today is the day that the small uh, become the big, the weak become the strong, the first become the last. And I asked my kid, he said at his school, Wednesdays are considered backwards days. Really? Yeah. Every day. He has a Wednesday every week he gets one. He told me, I looked at him, I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you just do stuff backwards. You run backwards. You Just playing our yeah. 70s music. Backwards. It sounds more sideways than backwards because yeah. I still hear the... But it's hip. It's way hip. Boy, oh boy. Talk about backwards day. Um, What's going on? So I, I found this about the, the process that is kind of leading up to some of these executive orders. That okay. may be gumming up the works. Oh, there's a process right? behind it. Well, President Obama had a similar uh, six-month ban on Iraqi yeah. immigrants in 2011. Right. It took – By the way, that was after some attempted shootings in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yes. When they found that an Iraqi had gotten into the country uh, and they found his fingerprints all over, you know, what are they called? Uh Grenades, right? Launchers. There, there was a distinct threat. He made a move, but he went through departments of Homeland Security. Yeah. He went through Justice. Yeah. He went through, and he legal did it trigger. quietly. He didn't yes. make an announcement. He just quietly informed everyone so that even the Iraqi officials wouldn't be sending people over that haven't been, you know, cleared. Right. So there was a process. Apparently, that process didn't happen this time. Yeah, which is kind of evident in how it rolled out. Now, there's a, a website called Axios. Okay. Right? They're the four guys that started Politico. Yeah. They moved on. And started their own. When they launched their website, they launched it just before the inauguration. Mm-hmm. First thing they had was an interview with Trump. They went up to Trump Tower, sat down at his desk. Oh, wow. Interviewed him. So great I mean, access. They, they got some at great Axios. access at Axios. So they had this the other day, which I found interesting from some of the reporting they've been able to do with some people that work at the White House. They said Steve Bannion and policy uh, senior policy advisor Steve Miller are the ones that authored the immigration right. executive oh, yeah. order. Steve Miller that is now going head-to-head with Joe Scarborough. Yes. They're fighting like crazy. Right. So instead of a, a bigger group, it's a small group of people who are making these decisions and crafting these things. Mm. It says big decisions and edits cr- to crucial documents are made in the dark of night with scant input beyond the inner circle. There are a few guys who keep everything to themselves, said a top official. The insular circle is getting more insular as it amasses more power. No force within the West Wing is a surefire counterweight to Bannon or Miller. Mm. They have the president's ear at the moment. The inner circle, resentful of leaks, seeks little input from the cabinet. Outside allies or Hill leaders, a leadership aide told us yesterday, congressional leaders had no hand in drafting this and haven't been briefed from the White House on how it works, oh. which is evident. Yeah. They're all asking questions. Well, General Mattis wasn't. General Kelly wasn't. Um, uh, Tillerson wasn't. None of the biggest players knew anything about it. It's, Nada. 
Hence all the questions. That's the insular nature of their inner circle. And then it says Trump is showing no signs of wanting order. He loves the competing views internally and externally, allowing him to be usually at the last minute the decider. He said that during the campaign. He likes the decider. He likes all the different viewpoints and ideas and he gets to make the decision. But what they're paying for is the fact that nothing is – Nothing goes to the end of the row. A policy isn't making it to the people that implement the policy. And then it says the place oozes paranoia. Oh, yeah. Right. He goes, so every bad move is simply chalked up to media hate or they also chalk it up to Republicans who are against them anyways. Mm -hmm. So they're just trying to tear us down. So we're not going to pay attention to them either. And that comes out if you listen to some of the press conferences. Yeah. Sean Spicer, he said repeatedly, we we informed everyone that needed to know. We're not going to tell everyone because we don't want to let anyone know about what's happening because then all these other countries with all their – their their uh, plans on hurting us will send all their people in real quick before we right. shut the door. Well, so we'll just shut the door without telling you. In fact, and, and Sean Spicer, I mean, again, the hardest job in the world is now the spokesperson for Donald Trump. He is going to have an aneurysm if he keeps doing this <laughs> in his press conferences. He gets Does so he, mad. Well, the thing is, is let's just say Donald Trump's team all could recognize that this one they missed up, they messed up, they missed it, right. they ruined it. Could they actually ever come out and say, you know what, we blew this? No. They can't do it. Even if it would serve them to do it, they can't do it. But what the, sadly what they're doing is they're wasting their capital, right? They're wasting their cachet. They think – I guess they think they're shoring up their base. Mm-hmm. But there's now a lot of Republicans that are going to fight against them. And the minute Iran comes and cancels a $20 billion order with Boeing – Donald Trump is all every all the supposed movement Donald Trump has created gone. That's twenty bill. Yeah. How much how much time of peace do we have to have before people will start to think that this is a good idea though? Like how many? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, Does this, it have to be six months well, or a here's year? Here's the problem because there really is a problem behind this immigration thing, and it's the visas and everybody that gets a visa. Forty percent of the people that get visas overstay their visa, and we have no idea where they are. Right. That's the problem. And this is a solution, they're saying, to make sure that we've got the right visas coming in, the right people coming in. They're all vetted. The problem is, is this the right solution? So no one's even talking about the real problem. We're talking about some stupid solution that was extreme and no one's dealing with the real issue. Sean, and they won't until Congress gets involved in five more months. Sean Spicer in the interview yesterday or his press conference yesterday, a reporter asked him about a five-year-old from Iran that was detained. Yeah. And he goes, well, he goes, oh, we, we, can, we can go through every metric or the old or the young, male, female. We stop everyone. We check and make sure they're safe. And it's like right. he's five. How about, how about the interpreters from Iraq who couldn't get in, their families couldn't get in, even though they had been interpreting for the U.S. government for two years? Or how about all the pilots going to Arizona from Iraq to be trained? So, okay, great. Can we admit you made a mistake on Iraq? Let's just take Iraq, Iraqis off the list. But again, the problem isn't even the list. The problem is the deeper problem and no one's talking about the problem. They're all just gummed up about the solution because he unilaterally mandated a solution like a king. Here's my – and he pressed his little ring into the wax. (laughs) There you go. Oh, my heavens. But today it will all change because we won't even talk about it after we find out who is – Supreme Court nominee. Will he go moderate conservative? Will he go conservative conservative? This goes back to he's the executive producer of his own reality TV show with the 
8 p.m. Eastern yeah. primetime slot. But it sounds like this. his show is called Fight Night. Could be. Right? Because he just keeps releasing the Kraken. <laughs> About every two days we get a new Kraken released. Ah, crazy day. But hey, hey remember, it's backwards day. Just remember that. It's not as bad as you think. We... <laughs> he said Oh, that thing drives me crazy. Because my brain's trying to figure out what it's saying. Hmm. All right, fun times. We will take a break. When we come back, we're talking K-12 through civic education. Maybe if we teach our children, our youth... Uh, more about uh, being civically active. Are they going to make better decisions? Are they going to protest healthier? How are they going to handle politics of the future? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Today, a hearing committee will vote whether or not to confirm Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education. Regardless of the next secretary's qualifications, her first step should be to address the lack of civic education K-12 through students receive in the United States. Civic education includes teaching about rigorous debate, how to compromise, how to look over the, our political differences, and how to enable citizens to find solutions to the problems in their communities and in the nation. Here to speak with us today is Dr. Uh, Peter Levine, an Associate Dean for Research and the Lincoln Filing Professor of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Tufts University. Uh, Dr. Levine, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So this uh, civic education, now explain it, because are you talking the civics class, or are you just talking about understanding and learning how to to uh, to work the the uh, the rigorous political world. I would say the civics class is a means to that end. Okay. Um, it's a valuable means, and so we we uh, advocate it. I think a civics class is valuable, but you do learn how to navigate the world, the political world, um, it, in many other settings as well as that class. Has civics class? It seems like it's been replaced by you know sociology, by political science, by other classes. Do they provide the same lessons? Um, they can, of course. It's, it's not completely true that it's been replaced, because actually some people, some adults, um, exaggerate that problem a little, understandably. They say, you know, I took civics when I was a kid. Why don't kids take civics today? Right. Actually, a little more than 90% of kids do take civics. Um, we don't think they take enough. It's usually one course. Most states have one required course. Some some states don't. Um, and But it is, you're right, It's it's one, civics itself is one of... A whole bunch of courses. Um, of course, American history is is a prime right. candidate, but also economics, sociology, a lot of courses that you know that that can prepare people for um, for navigating the political world. To use your phrase, um, but I do think civics itself is particularly significant. Talk about um, what what why it's so important. What is it in civics that that if you know if we if we feed just too much history or we too feed too much sociology into it, what are we missing that would be in a, in a healthy, strong civics class? Um, by the way, I don't think you can have too much history. Right. <laughs> so, so I'm all for... All for well, unless it's well. fake, it's unless not, it's... it's what are they called? Unless it's alternate yeah. facts or fake history, as, yeah, as no, people are claiming, be, right? Got to be serious about inquiry uh, and about being disciplined and paying attention to facts. But um, but history is good, so I would hate to set this up as, you know, yeah, against uh, less, history. less history. But I guess, civic, for one thing, civics is usually about the present. Um, 
And we do tend to teach history. You know, we tend to race through history at a tremendous pace and run out of time uh, towards the end of the semester as we get through, let's say, the 1960s. And that can give the impression that history is over. Actually, history continues, and civics is about the present. And then civics also puts puts you, the the citizen, in the picture in a clear way. So um, history tends to be about what major people did in the past. And you're not, if you're 16 years old, you're not a major person yet. You're not a you know, president, but you do have a role. Um, by the way, not only political, I, I appreciated the way you described the purpose, but if you, if you hammer on politics as the goal, people think right. elections and they think controversy and stuff, but we're also thinking about um, community participation, meaning uh, service and um, participation in in faith-based organizations and a whole bunch of yeah, and community, yeah, caring for community right. and supporting community. Is it? I mean, because a, a lot of it, I guess, it does. It just kind of oozes this political um, tenor, and it's. But this is. I mean, there's there's political movements, but there's just social movements as well, right? There's there's and yet and yet we don't necessarily distinguish, which is why it might be valuable to have our kids talking about what's happening today. Right, right. I think that's exactly right. I think it's kind of nuanced. On one hand, we don't want to say, let's kick everything out of the classroom and the discussion right. because it's political. As soon as it becomes political, we don't want to talk about it. There's a lot of evidence that teachers are actually afraid to talk about politics because they think they'll get in trouble. And, and politics, you've got to learn to understand the political world. On the other hand, I, I wouldn't come out and say that civics is about politics because there are many other ways that you can be civically engaged and a good citizen besides politics. And one of the things we're trying to teach kids is, or help kids to figure out is the, 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 the relative values of those different things. When, when do you want to turn to politics to solve a problem? When do you not want to turn to politics to solve a problem? And they have to make up their own mind about that. Hmm. Is, do, do you sense the youth are, are they more civically involved or less civically involved than those of maybe 20, 30 years ago? You know, it's a mix. It's a mixed picture of volunteering and community services up on the whole. Hmm. Not up like in the last five or ten years, but up, up generationally. It's up higher than it was in the 70s and 80s, and then it sort of plateaued a little bit. Um, and I think that's great. I think it, it reflects partly idealism and commitment, and it also, though, reflects um, programs that have been built up to encourage uh, volunteer service, and that's uh, you get what you what you pay for it. Right. You have, if you have programs for volunteering service and community service, you'll get more of it. Um, voting is pretty flat. Um, of course, voting's a choice. We're not saying, I'm not saying everybody must vote. They can choose not to. But if, if you take voting as a measure of um, how involved people are, it's, it's pretty flat. And then um, the other thing that's, that's in some turmoil is, is news, news media uh, consumption or use. Um, mm. It's not easy to say whether it's up or down because it's just changing so much. Certainly reading the daily newspaper is way down, way down. But, um, you know, you can get news from other sources. So that's a that's a whole new frontier we have to think about. Is uh, well, and, and especially I can see today it's the news is exhausting, right? Uh, Donald yeah. Trump's pace is incredible. And um, I think it exhausts even people that love the news. What is, do you sense, what is driving the youth, you know, numbers down in, in, in civic engagement in some of these ways? Other than, other than, I guess, serving in community, are they distracted by technology? What's going on? 
Well, one piece of it, while we're talking about technology, is you now have a tremendous amount of choice about whether to be involved or, and to follow the news or not, and, and also how to follow it. It used to be you had less choice, because if you lived in, let's say, Boston, where I am, you got, the, you got the Boston Globe on your front porch every morning, and you might have subscribed because you wanted to see the sports or the comics or the classifieds, but the Boston Globe put the main news, what they consider the main news on the front page. And people criticized, including me, their choice of what was the main yeah. news, but you got this news. Now you can, you know, you can get your sports just from ESPN. You can get your classified just from Craigslist. So some people, some young people are very into the news and they're into different parts of the news. Um, and some young people are not into it at all. And you can, it's not, I wouldn't put it as their fault. It's a lot harder to kind of motivate yourself to be following the news today than it was when when the Boston Globe showed up on your front porch. Yeah, and it, it almost yeah, it almost seems like too. What where does news end? I mean, now you can you can hear a situation going on like with the whole immigration debate right now, but we can hear the stories coming from all of these other nations and get stories that we never would have got just in a local newspaper 30 years ago. Right. Right. So there's definitely a huge positive side. So if you're if you're um, sophisticated and you and involved in care and a fair number of young people are, you can get more and better information than you ever could before. You can mm. get more perspectives. You can get more detail. You can go directly to the documents right away. You know, I've, I've seen documents in the last 48 hours about uh, various things to do with the immigration, for example, court orders. And I've looked right through and read the court order. Right. On that. It's That's a, tremendous, but if you don't really want to be part of it, you can also avoid it in a in a much more dramatic way. That's true, huh? And and again, like when you when you were talking about how we can make, I mean, civics can mean so much more than you know presidential politics. It can be community. It can be so many other things. I mean, really, it would be. I guess when you miss out on civics, you miss out on community. Right, and you actually miss out on on a job and um, other kinds of life skills because the same skills that you need to be effective in a community like um, reaching consensus in a diverse group are diverse in terms of opinions in particular are the same skills you need to be effective in a twenty first century workforce and would that normally be taught then in a civics curriculum would that Conflict resolution, negotiation, kind of skills—is that where those are introduced, or you know, ideally? Um, well, well, one thing is, ideally, I'd, I'd introduce them much more broadly. I mean, start starting with kindergarten, the circle time in the kindergarten is right. when you start talking about those issues. So it wouldn't all load onto the civics teacher. The, the the dilemma civics teachers have is that they are also given a tremendous amount of very detailed content to cover. So it, probably the most typical kind of civics class. There's some, some time, a few, few hours set aside for exercises like a mock trial or something where kids learn skills, but a tremendous amount of time is spent marching through things like long lists of, of Supreme Court decisions mm. or, or congressional procedures and things like that. It's basically, um, it's basically political science for high school. And uh, there's value in all that material. I'm not against it. I care about the value, but I think I would shift the balance so that there was more on the kind of interpersonal skills and a little less on tremendous amounts of knowledge. Because for one thing, I think people forget the knowledge. Right. No, I, I don't. You remember sitting in civics class going through Supreme Court decisions? And and ironically, today we're announcing maybe a new Supreme Court nominee. I mean, it seems like you can so beautifully integrate real-time you know, reality and what's going on in the world with the civics lessons that need to be taught. 
Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, te- civics teachers are, are salt of the earth, a lot of them. Um, I mean, it, of course, it's a mix like any profession, but there's a lot of good civics teachers, so they are, they would do that. Um, yeah. They would do that. One thing that keeps them from doing more of it is that they're afraid of controversy, and another, because a culture as a whole is just kind of intolerant of it. And the other... Um, the other thing is just that they're so busy covering material that they, they say, let's take 10 minutes to talk about this yesterday's, uh, you know, tomorrow. They'll say, let's take 10 minutes to talk about yesterday's news about the Supreme Court. But then, well, okay, we got to stop that conversation, kids, because we've got to talk about yeah. Gideon B. Wainwright and 14 other cases. Right. <laughs> oh, it just brings back bad memories. <laughs> I mean, and it's sad because I love, I love the topic, but you're right. It, I mean, it is, it's a very, it's kind of the teacher, if they're the right person and they, they, you know, salt of the earth that can get it in there. But two, the fear. Talk about the fear. Um, the fear of controversy because so many of our political issues, I guess, are so polarized. Yeah. So in, in 2012, which was, a, after all, a little bit gentler election than 2016, we asked uh, a sur- we did a survey of current government teachers. So these are people who teach U.S. government in high school. And we asked you to talk about the election. And a quarter of them, so this is, you're teaching American government and there's an election going on. And about a quarter of them said, basically, no, it was too hot to handle, that they would get, not the kids wouldn't object, of course, but that some kind of parent or community member or, or um, supervisor would object. Uh, just because if they came across as, as speaking in a way that implicitly favored uh, President Obama or Governor Romney, they would be in trouble. Huh. Um, and so my view is that, you know, you do have to be really neutral really careful about that. That's important. But as a society, we've also got to be just a little more tolerant of their thing, their best efforts, because otherwise we we're in this crazy situation where we have millions of kids or at least hundreds of thousands of kids studying American government and they're not talking about the election. That's right. Crazy to me. Maybe that's Um, it, though. Maybe it needs to be a skills based class instead of just a data based class, right? Or position-based. Because if it's skills, then you can just say, great, we're going to teach you how to understand both sides of an argument. Today, you take the Republican side, you take the Democratic side. Let's use these five principles and let's do it. I mean, practice, practice, practice. Yes. No, I'm with you. I think, um, you know, we can get it sounds like you and I are on the same side in this. Yeah. Well, we could we could imagine an opponent who would say, no, but what about the knowledge? Don't they have to understand the Supreme Court and stuff? And I guess I, I say yes, but sure. I think you could you can um, you can you can economize on how much knowledge you feed, force feed kids. I mean, you can pick the most important stuff, and also kids will learn somewhat more on demand. So if 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 the if they what they're you you just named a beautiful skill, which is taking the other side. So. Being, if I'm a Democrat, I have to argue the Republican position in class. Yeah. That's a great skill. So in doing that, I'm going to have to find out about the Supreme Court, or I'm not going to be able right. to argue well. Right. So the, the knowledge can come can come for a purpose then, That's right. which is an effective argument. And boy, what would happen if all of us could sit there and actually take the other person's side in a debate? or in I mean, in anything right. that's going on today, we could still see, okay, this is going on. This is what they're positioning. And I don't believe it, but okay, here's where I am. Boy, yeah. that's um, that's a whole other level of civics, isn't it? Yeah, no, and I would I would actually say that that's, that's the, the greatest deficit in, in our civil society as a whole is our inability to talk across differences and disagreements. And the and the most important job for us, for teaching civics is actually to teach the next generation to do better than than we're doing. And tell me that it's playing out right now, right? We can't talk about every time Trump throws down another. Uh, another executive order, we can't 
it just throws everyone into a spin. <laughs> nobody can talk. Nobody can understand. Nobody can – we don't feel like we're being heard. Um, we're speaking with Dr. Peter Levine. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion about teaching our children – Uh, civics and their civic duty so much behind this more than just you know understanding past supreme court decisions this is about life skills uh consensus building you know understanding how to uh, deal with people that think differently powerful stuff stick with us we'll continue the discussion helping you be the good in the world we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, do you remember going to civics class? I remember it. And I actually, I loved it, except for the litany of, you know, Supreme Court cases I had to memorize. And and by the way, all very, very important. But um, I think uh, as our guest is talking to us today, maybe what may be more important for all of us is the simple idea of some, some life skills, some real true blue skills at helping, you know, find solutions to problems in our community or, you know, being able to understand and take the place of other people or understanding the backstory behind all of these political positions or the principles that uh, that govern some of the decision-making in our lives. So joining us is Dr. Peter Levine, and uh, he is um, an associate dean for research um, at uh, – uh, and – the Lincoln Filene Professor of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Tufts University. Um, And we appreciate him being with us and just teaching us about the importance of civics. And really today, uh, Dr. Levine, I want to find out too what we can be doing as parents to impact this. Thanks again for being with us. Mm, That's a good question. Because I have uh, six kids, believe it or not, Peter. Uh And they come up to me one by one and they've done – each one have done it over the years. And it's always kind of during the political season. They're like, so dad – what are we? Are we Republicans or are we Democrats? And I'm like, well, what are you? You know, and I start teaching skills or really the principles that I believe we believe in. And then I try to show them what how really those principles can exist in both parties. And it's just how you want to met out the principles. But how do I get my kids engaged civically, especially if the schools, maybe the ones that I'm near aren't aren't as engaged? That's that's a beautiful example that you just gave. I love it. I mean, part of it, of course, is just discussing. I mean, the way you told the story, the kids came to you, yeah. which, uh, instead of you coming to them, which which we we have evidence that kids do. Um, oh, they totally do politics, and and uh, it's not always you know parents down to the kids. So I think then encouraging the discussion, making it a good discuss, making it you know something that you value and enjoy, um, and yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and you know, I, I appreciate your your uh, kind of openness to the different partisan perspectives and neutrality. I mean, I think people have to navigate that themselves oh, yeah. in their families, and there are lots of different perspectives on it. You're not going to be neutral about everything. And uh, honestly, I think I don't think we expect parents to be politically neutral. Mm-mm. Part of part of the division of labor is that we expect parents to be somewhat biased or, or dug or, you know, to have judgment. Yeah. Entrenched. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or, or, or principled, whatever you right, want to call right. it. And then we expect schools to be somewhat more 
uh, neutral as places where kids who come from different families can learn to interact with each other. Um, That's true. So, well, and, and the, the skills. Modeling your behavior, by the way. So, I mean, uh, everything from volunteering and voting to all the things you, you do as a citizen, you want, you want the kids to see that. And, and I guess, too, and, and being able to tie it back. To your, you know, to your community or your citizenry or your, your, your desire to make the world better. I mean, the, I, the part of this is, um, I think it's talking, right? It's and seeing that there are real skills behind it. Right. The other thing, I, this is on my mind lately because so many people I know are so upset about things. I think that it's important also to um, share a little joy. Mm. So being being in civically engaged in whatever way is, you think is best from very non-controversial community service to running for office is also a source of, of joy if you – at least let's not forget that. It can yeah. be. And, uh, and celebrate the victories. Right. Yeah. Right. Because – And the fellowship. Yeah. Right? The yeah. that you're standing with others. Mm-hmm. I mean and like the, the Women's March um, – it, there, it sh- and it, it, what I heard in a lot of the news coverage is that they were angry, whatever. But there was a lot of people also commenting on this sisterhood, this fellowship, this community um, that was giving them hope when they were feeling down. And so, I mean, there is a there's something to celebrate there. Again, I'm not sure the news always covers it, you know, fully. Um, and right. I don't. And I think you know we're so biased about how we see it, but. There's, there's, there's things to celebrate in being connected to community. That's right. And, and you made a good point about the news because I think the, the way – one of the frameworks that reporters learn, and not all of them, but they do tend to learn it, is that politics is essentially conflictual and basically unpleasant. And so news is, news is generated when, when conflict occurs. So you don't make news out of – Sort of standing together, but people do people do stand together, mm-hmm. and they do have and and uh, they do feel community, and they do feel pleasure and satisfaction in acting together, and that's an important thing to to impart to kids, especially little kids. I think by the time they're teenagers, they can handle the yeah. harder parts. But the, the eight year old needs to understand that civic life is a is a place of joy. And, and part, again, you because I think a lot of times we think civics is you know party politics. But you're, you're, when you say civic life, it's also church. It's also yep. – it's just community. It's even playing in the little leagues. It's cleaning yep. up the park after little league ball. It's, it's anything that builds America or the world. Right, right. And of course, it, it, ultimately, it's going to be up to the next generation as they become adults to decide, to decide for themselves how they, how they, how they navigate that those choices. So is it enough or is it the right thing at this moment to be working in a little league or should you be going to the airport and protesting? That's mm. a choice. What we want them to do, though, is, is be able to make that choice in, a, in an authentic way. That's great. Um, would you w- – what would you suggest we do as far as, you know, parents approaching our educational leaders, our educational mm-hmm. systems to push for, you know, a better approach, a better standard, a higher standard? It would be – that's a great question. I so appreciate that. It would be wonderful if people simply asked at, at, at meetings with – or, you know, anything from a PTA meeting to a one-on-one encounter with a, a, a education official. If they simply asked what, what's going on with civics, I, I, I met a, a superintendent of a major school district, uh, Cal, big city California school district, who was about ready to retire. And he said that he'd never once been asked by a teacher – by a parent, excuse me, about civics. Hmm. Um, it is, he still cared about it, but he wasn't getting any – uh, helpful pressure or encouragement. So, and it's really low on on 
but polls show that most Americans think civics is good if you ask them. But um, they, I don't think that people act on that. And so, you know, without even being critical or confrontational about it, because you don't know what they are doing in the school, just asking and saying, this matters to me. And can I, can I help? And how do you do it? And, um, and then I think also a little bit of tolerance for for error, because I think that most civics teachers are trying to be as politically neutral yeah. as they possibly can, but they will get hauled out um, in public if they if they mess up on that. And so I think just a little bit of tolerance for that would be helpful. Oh, I mean, I can't imagine um, because like, just even in my neighborhood, we have, you know, state representatives that could come and speak to the school and would probably mm-hmm. love to and their kids are in the school. But I can imagine the teacher doesn't dare. You know, you can't bring a partisan in and yet, you know, this person could be the Speaker of the House in the state of Utah or whatever. And so th- that fear is um, is uh, is a problem, isn't it? It's because it keeps us from learning. Right. So I think what we all need to say is um, kind of affirmatively, we do want that learning to go on and we'll 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 accept the fact that. You know, for example, that, this, that that I'm from the other party from the Speaker of the House of the Utah mm-hmm. Legislature, but I would like him in the, and that's actually a fact, but I would like him in the schools. I would like him in the schools, and I would like the kids to interact with him. Uh, and that's actually pretty important. And so giving the schools some permission and latitude is, is very important. Well, and two, again, I guess um, I, I could already hear what would happen. The teacher would send us all a note on our technology now because we're all so connected. And it would be, hey, we're having this person come and speak. They're not coming to talk about their partisan beliefs. They're t- and they would, they would give us all the caveats. We're going to learn about the political whatever system and active involvement. And, and I can already see that they're, they're trying to mitigate the fight. Um, but I guess part of that is just as a parent, you know, being OK with it. And then part of it is a, is a teacher um, that, can, that can bridge the gap by bringing other people from other walks of life. Right. So our best civics teachers are also model citizens, and they tend to be involved with the League of Women Voters or whatever in their community. And so they're both, they both have the network connections to allow them to bring in people who are different. Um, and also they're just skillful and they're confident because they're effective citizens. But a lot of our civics teachers are three years out of college and took mm-hmm. a few social studies classes and, you know, in college and um, don't really know anybody. And uh, <laughs> I don't blame them because that's what the workforce is, but they need a lot more support. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And, and, and I guess, yeah, support from the parents that are there telling them that we appreciate what they're doing. What in the end, um, what do we lose, Peter, if we lose civics? Well, I don't mean to sound too dire, but we potentially lose our republic. I mean, you know, remember Ben Franklin's words when the came out of the Constitutional Convention and the Philadelphia woman asked him, what do we have, a monarchy, a republic? And he said, a republic, if we can keep it, mm. and we keep it through our uh, reinforcement of the values that sustain a republic right down to the neighborhood level, right down to the block level. And we don't gain those automatically. We don't get them. As Justice O'Connor said, we don't get them in the gene pool. We, we learn them. Um, we learn them from our parents. We also learn them from schools. Schools have an important role to play. So I think the, I think the future of the republic depends on it. Boy. I mean, that's dire. That's scary. Um, and uh, just as we wrap up, what if, if we were thinking of the skills that we most need to get out of our civics class, if we could refine it down to three, four skills, what would those skills need to be? I like to say, so I do believe in knowledge, um, but uh, so I'm going to leave that out of my list, but I do believe in knowledge. But the other ones would be um, collaboration, the ability to work together with other people on a problem. 
um, deliberation, uh, learning, listening, uh, gain, gaining the benefit of other people's perspectives, and then relationships of uh, trust and loyalty and hope. So collaboration, deliberation, and relationships are my my triad. And, and cross uh, culture, cross ideology, cross you know ethnicity, cross everything. That's right. Powerful. Exactly. Well, Peter, we appreciate you. Thank you for your great work, and keep uh, keep fighting for civics. We need it. It's powerful stuff, and I can't imagine what happens to us uh, if we if we can't collaborate, deliberate, and build relationships of trust. Well, and some of it you're seeing right in our political world today. Dr. Peter Levine uh, from Tufts University. Appreciate him. We will take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we talk about civic duty and we see the headlines of, you know, the the backlash about immigration, the numbers behind the immigration, you know, standoff are pretty interesting as well, Terry. Now, because of what happened over the weekend, there's been some, uh, I guess polling is actually being done now, you you would think, on this issue. But this poll was taken a a couple weeks ago from uh, Quinnipiac University. Um, which I never say right, so yeah, whatever. It's a hard. Um, they show it took last last week. More American voters uh, support President Trump's executive order to temporarily suspend immigration from several several Middle Eastern and North African countries. So they, before the 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 uh, executive order went out, they asked the question because he had said he was going to do it right. during the primary. So the poll showed American voters support forty eight to forty two percent suspending immigration from terror prone regions. If, even if it means turning away refugees from those regions. So 48 to 42. Mm. 48% agree yeah. you shouldn't have people from those the terrorist regions, which would be at probably at least five of the seven. Right. Um, then it says a plurality of voters also said they would support requiring immigrants from Muslim-majority nations to register with American officials, 53 to 41%. 53% believe that there should be a Muslim registration? That's scary. Yeah. And then it says that same survey found that 59% of American voters believe illegal immigrants should be allowed to stay in the U.S. and eventually apply for citizenship. What percentage? 59. 59% believe that illegal immigrants, but non-felons, I'm assuming. Right. I mean, but, they're just saying I mean, the, average, the average illegal immigrant, 59, 60% of the country would say, yeah, they should just be able to stay and register. Right. So by looking at these numbers, uh, a suspension... For terror-prone regions, as as Trump said, so we can get a handle yeah, on what's happening. percent. I get that. Except, except that's probably shifted today. So if we re-poll today because just it, the this news was, This was conducted between January 5th and the, right. the 9th. Right. And so initially, yeah, we're all for it. Then you see it actually happen, and then there's this loud voice right. like, wait a second, what did we just do? But the majority of people seem to have – we need to figure out a way to vet people – which we already have a process, right. but you know, let's, let's 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 look at it, see if we need to make some changes. But the majority of people should be able to apply for a process. See, this is why we need civics, right? Because these are complicated issues that have to be solved. You have to collaborate to fix this. You have to deliberate and be able to hear each other's opinions, and we got to be able to trust each other. <sighs> the complicated world, but um, interesting. So, what do you believe? 
Or do you even care? Or do you even know? Are you talking to me? No, I'm not. Oh. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we talk about civic duty and we see the headlines of, you know, the the backlash about immigration, the numbers behind the immigration, you know, standoff are pretty interesting as well, Terry. Now, because of what happened over the weekend, there's been some, uh, I guess polling is actually being done now, you you would think, on this issue. But this poll was taken a a couple weeks ago from uh, Quinnipiac University. Um, which I never say right, so yeah, whatever. It's a hard. Um, they show it took last last week. More American voters uh, support President Trump's executive order to temporarily suspend immigration from several several Middle Eastern and North African countries. So they, before the 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 executive order went out, they asked the question because he had said he was going to do it right. during the primary. So the poll showed American voters support forty eight to forty two percent suspending immigration from terror prone regions. If, even if it means turning away refugees from those regions. So 48 to 42. Mm. 48% agree Four, yeah. you shouldn't have people from those – the terrorist regions, which would be at probably at least five of the seven. Right. Um, then it says a plurality of voters also said they would support requiring immigrants from Muslim-majority nations to register with American officials, 53 to 41%. 53% believe that there should be a Muslim registration? That's scary. Yeah. And then it says that same survey found that 59% of American voters believe illegal immigrants should be allowed to stay in the U.S. and eventually apply for citizenship. What percentage? 59. 59% believe that illegal immigrants, but non-felons, I'm assuming. Right. I mean, they're just saying the average average illegal immigrant, 59, 60% of the country would say, yeah, they should just be able to stay and register. Right. So by looking at these numbers, uh, a suspension... For terror-prone regions, as as Trump said, so we can get a handle yeah, on what's happening. percent I get e- that. Except that's probably shifted today. So if we re-poll today because just it, the this news was, This was conducted between January 5th and the, the right. 9th. Right. And so initially, yeah, we're all for it. Then you see it actually happen, and then there's this loud voice right. like, wait a second, what did we just do? But the majority of people seem to have – we need to figure out a way to vet people – which we already have a process, right. but you know, let's 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 look at it, see if we need to make some changes. But the majority of people should be able to apply for a process. See, this is why we need civics, right? Because these are complicated issues that have to be solved. You have to collaborate to fix this. You have to deliberate and be able to hear each other's opinions, and we got to be able to trust each other. <sighs> the complicated world, but um, interesting. So, what do you believe, or do you even care? Or do you even know? Are you talking to me? No, I'm not. Oh. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Stick with us. Split of a 
second to answer in less than a moment Discover the best in international, national, and local artists all live on Highway 89, weeknights at 10 Eastern on BYU Radio. It's a long way home When you're tired and you're cold It's a long, long way KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. Hello, I'm Jim Lee with the BBC News. The U.S. Senate Judiciary... Excuse me. The President of the European Council, Donald Tusk, has labelled the U.S. administration of Donald Trump as a new external threat to the European Union. The assertion is made in a letter to European leaders. Johnny Diamond reports. Listing external threats to the EU, Donald Tusk writes of an increasingly assertive China, Russia's aggressive policy towards its neighbours, radical Islam, and what he calls worrying declarations by the new American administration. The temporary entry ban for citizens from seven predominantly Muslim countries, the dismissal by Mr Trump of the EU as basically a vehicle for Germany, and the threat to free trade have all caused deep alarm amongst European leaders already under sympathetic towards Mr Trump's politics and style. The US Senate Judiciary Committee is due to vote shortly on President Trump's choice for Attorney General Jeff Sessions. His confirmation hearings were dogged by allegations of racism. Mr Sessions has rejected the claims and said his priorities would be to crack down on illegal immigration and Islamist terrorism. Ukraine says a humanitarian crisis is looming in the eastern industrial town of Ardivka, where there's been an upsurge of fighting. It has left thousands of people without water or power in freezing conditions. David Bamford reports. The industrial hub of Avdiivka has been at the centre of renewed clashes since Sunday. The power is off and conditions are freezing. The town's military administrator said he was preparing for a possible evacuation of the town. In Moscow, President Putin's spokesman said there was reliable information that renegade units of pro-Kiev fighters, and not the army itself, were responsible for the initial upsurge. Ukraine's president, Petro Poroshenko, has expressed concern that Donald Trump's victory in the US presidential election and his praise for Russia's Vladimir Putin is exacerbating the conflict in eastern Ukraine. Parliament in Britain has begun debating a bill authorising the government to trigger the process to take the country out of the European Union, known as Article 50. The bill follows the Supreme Court ruling last week that Parliament, not the government, had sovereignty in the matter. Norman Smith reports. The message from the Brexit Secretary David Davis to those tempted to vote against the bill triggering Britain's departure from the EU was clear. Trust the people. The point of no return, said Mr Davis, had already been passed with the referendum. Nevertheless, the government is facing significant opposition from MPs determined to shape the agreement Mrs May negotiates. In particular, there will be demands to allow MPs a vote before and not after Mrs May strikes a deal. The signs are, however, the government will be able to rebuff such amendments, with Tory rebels reluctant to make a stand so early in the two-year Brexit process. World News from the BBC. In a reversal of its previous position, Western Sahara has welcomed the readmission of Morocco to the African Union, despite rival claims to the territory. A Sahrawi government minister said it will provide an opportunity to address the decades-long dispute. 
On Monday, the AU decided to readmit Morocco 33 years after its withdrawal from what was then called the Organisation of African Unity. The United Nations Children's Agency UNICEF says more than 7.5 million children around the world will be severely malnourished this year. The agency has appealed for over $3 billion to help 48 million children living in areas of conflict. Investigators in France have raided parliamentary offices as part of an inquiry into allegations that the wife of the main centre-right presidential candidate, François Fillon, was paid public money for work she may not have carried out. From Paris, Lucy Williamson. Investigators were said to be looking for documents relating to Penelope Fion's role as parliamentary assistant, first to her husband and then to his successor. The head of the Parliamentary Republicans' Party, Christian Jacob, said that all party deputies were unanimous in their support of François Fion and were standing by him. Yesterday, the couple were interviewed separately by investigators for more than five hours. Mr Fion's lawyer, Antonin Levy, told French Radio that the candidate had not had a constituency office while working as a member of Parliament and had instead used his home. And who is at home, he asked. Penelope Fion, of course. Two people have been killed in a suicide bombing in northeast Nigeria. A lone bomber attacked a mosque near Maiduguri University during morning prayers. On Monday, a girl, thought to be just 10 years old, blew herself up in an attempted attack near the border of Cameroon. The jihadist group Boko Haram is known to use women and children as suicide bombers to target crowded places such as mosques and bus stations. BBC News. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, Jeff Simpson on the board. Surfing the board. And extremely bored. And extremely bored. Welcome to the program, my friends. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. You know, nobody was given an owner's manual when you were born. You got to figure it out on your own. This is the show where you can come and get the latest, the greatest research, as well as just a leg up and a little hope for life. Um, Today, no exception, we'll be talking about um, success inhibitors, things that slow you down, things that uh, negative habits that you got to give up. And if you don't, you're going to struggle. One of them, according to our next uh, expert or guest is neck tattoos, neck tattoos, any face tattoos. No, no. um, It would be simply something more like hitting the snooze alarm. I had had a teacher that would say that you put a tattoo on your face or on your neck, yeah. you just stalled your advancement in any It'll... career or anything because if you're front-facing, right. you, you talk to the public. If you're representing the company, that's what they're – that's kind of In this change. culture, yes, right? Yes, that's changing. Right. But, but this was you know, 10, right. 15 years ago. People were like, there's no way that would work. Yeah, everybody now inking up is a big deal. But you know, certain cultures – that's the only way to get a job. Remember when Mike Tyson showed up and he had his yeah. face tattooed? Everyone's uh, like, what are you doing? Mike, Mike. You know, if if uh, Rock The Rock didn't have tattoos on his body in the movie Maui, we wouldn't know what the story was about. Really? Really? His ink told the whole story. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't okay. see it? No, in, it's not Maui. It's Maui. Maui in, oh, in Moana. Moana. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm like, Maui, is that one I haven't seen? Yeah, Moana. Because uh, his tats, they communicate this. Inc- and by the way, his were moving. 
Yeah. Boy, nothing would be worse than moving tattoos. Don't you think? Hmm. You wake up and you're like, ah, boy, it's on my face. <laughs> How do I get it off my face? We've got so much to talk about. It's backward day. Today's the day that, uh, you know, the first become last, the last become first. The smart, not so smart. Uh, Democrats used to be in power. All right. Now the Republicans are. Backward day. Except it's not a day. It's four years. This is Jeff playing his records backwards. Looking, He's looking for a... He's looking for some message. He's been doing this all morning. This was big in the 70s. I don't know if you remember. I do. Um, This bothers my brain, though. It does. I think if you play this this song backwards, it says, Matt is dead. Really? It's opposite day. Yeah, because I'm not dead. I'm alive. Um, Today... We'll get to all that fun. Plus, of course, uh, Diddy Dental, one of our great sponsors, is sponsored. Will you turn that off? Doesn't that hurt your brain? (laughs) Like, my brain is like, honestly, I think I just... You're trying to figure out the melody. My my whole brain just flopped. It just turned right over in my head. Really? Turned backwards? Yeah, there it goes. Oh, now it's coming back. It's uh, Diddy Dental is going to... They've got a brand new product out. As part of their Tooth Sleuth line. The Tooth Sleuth line came from... um, the it, woman that lost her dentures. A woman lost her dentures, and, and they're like, the we can find that. Yeah. So they, they have this GPS now that they can put in your dentures or your grill if you have one. But today they have a uh, um, a, a product that if, you, if you're if you afraid your child is is kissing people. Oh, wow. Then um, – or your teenager is kissing people. Then right. you, you can – when in the retainer, you can have this little device inserted. But mm. don't – don't say what it does. I won't say what it does. Okay. There's a big debut coming. It, it's a big debut, yeah. and we'll be talking about that. I mean, product launch. I mean, really, a lot of parents are worried about that. So now you can not only track your child, you can actually. This sounds like a Donald Trump product. No. Hmm. No. It's Diddy Dental, one of our great sponsors. Tons of fun. So we'll get to all that. Plus, of course, um, success inhibitors, things that are stopping you from being as successful as you should be or could be. Just a lot to cover. Um, But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Former President Barack Obama's office released a statement on Monday that essentially condemned the new administration for President Donald Trump's recent executive order banning foreign nationals from seven Muslim-majority countries. Spokesman Kevin Lewis also praised those protesting the ban, citizens exercising their constitutional rights to assemble, organize, and have their voices heard by their elected officials is exactly what we expect to see when American values are at stake. Hmm. So he said something. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer on Monday condemned the pathetic and widespread backlash against President Trump's Holocaust statement omitting the Jewish people. In a Friday statement issued for International Holocaust Remembrance Day, the White House noticeably left out any mention of Jews, six million of, of whom were killed during the Holocaust. During the press conference, Spicer doubled down on the administration's defense that it did not specifically mention Jews because many other groups were also targeted during Adolf Hitler's reign. The idea that you're nitpicking a statement that sought to remember this tragic event that occurred and the people who died in it is just ridiculous. He, he acknowledged the suffering that existed and wants to make sure that it's enshrined in the American people's memory so that something like this never, ever happens again. And I think to sit there and suggest that he was trying to single out anything and, 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 and a people of which he has shown such tremendous respect for. And such a willingness in terms of the state of Israel to go out there and show the partnership 
that it needs to exist between us and, and the response. Now, these press conferences hit about <sighs> noon, 1 Eastern. He's just ramping up yeah. this, this real angst okay. and anger. And, and watch, though. Let me, can I just throw this in? Oh, go, go ahead. He's, regardless of whatever his motive was, right. it offended people. They're offended. They should so, have been. So again, so you can. You, here's the great quote: you Every, can't, They were being inclusive, Matt. You can't talk your way out of something you behaved <laughs> your way into. So whether they think they were right or wrong, right. a huge percentage of people were offended by the lack of recognizing the Jews in the Holocaust but they, statement. They shouldn't be mad, right? They and, were being inclusive. And so, in, one of the great lessons would just be to say, "Oh, okay, we are so sorry." We will take that no. into account, and then let us next year either agree and try to change that, or let's not. But let's just recognize somebody was offended, just like the immigration bill. Some people were offended. I, just recognize it. Trump is Accept about it. Trump is about winning. What you're suggesting is not a winning attitude. That's right. So that's not a squashing attitude. Moving on, the Defense Department on Monday identified the Navy SEAL killed during a raid on Al Qaeda militants as Chief Petty Officer William Ryan Owens. In a statement, Defense Secretary James Mattis said Owens, 36, gave us full measure for our nation, and in performing his duty, he upheld the noblest standard of military service. Owens was killed when his aircraft experienced what the Pentagon officials described as a hard landing. Two other SEALs were injured in the landing, which occurred Sunday at a secondary staging area. And finally, Matt, you're always talking about, like, we've had discussions. I don't know if we've had them on the air, but right. you've had, like, a specific design for your your last days. Oh, yeah. You want to be snuggled. I want to be. I want to be cuddled, cuddled uh, on schedule with my children and my grandchildren. Just your family just sign up. Everyone with, gets like yeah. an hour with me where they just spoon and hold me to death. There you go. Squeeze me to death. I right. call it. In Japan, they have something that might might help. Oh boy! And be sort of less awkward for your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I can hardly wait. Wrapped up from head to toe in a white bag and gently rocking from side to side, five Japanese mothers are hopeful Tokyo's latest health trend can cure their post-pregnancy aches and pains. Wow. According to its exponents, the it's called Ot- Otanmaki. Uh-huh. Sounds right. Uh, I pretty much have yeah, Totally. I think you nailed it. Which translates as adult wrapping was devised by a midwife who thought replicating how children are swaddled at birth could help mothers overcome post-labor shoulder and hip pain. The five mothers in a recent session in Tokyo lay on their backs with their knees uh, to their chest bundled up in white cloths. Uh, Staff then helped them rock over cushions. It felt warm and there was this feeling... And there was this feeling with my body, said one mother who tried the 20-minute session. So they're swaddling adults... You could be swaddled. Yeah, we could start a business just called Senior Swaddling. Senior. Just return to the womb. Yeah. Just go back. Ay, ay, ay. What do you think? Senior Swaddling. Is that something no, you No, I think I'd go. I can't have my legs all bound up. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a sequel to crazy. an action movie. Senior. Return to the womb. <laughs> a womb with a voo. <laughs> I don't know why I sound like Daffy D- or uh, Elmer Fudd. Um, I don't like that idea. Okay. Well, just an option. I saw it yesterday. I thought... You could, you know, test it out. But I understand. <laughs> but I guess it's it's helping these moms who who Apparently. have hip. I get the hip. I mean, the hip, the shoulder. Yeah. With, I guess when you deliver a baby, your shoulder goes out of joint. Lots of things go out of joint, Matt. I mean, I was there for two of them. But where, maybe the shoulder from you crying on her I, shoulder. Maybe I don't know because it, I I was emotional. Yeah. In just the fact that I had to witness such a thing. I've seen, I could see a baby's shoulder. Yeah, I've seen a baby's shoulder. Look like it's hmm. not coming back in joint. Right. 
Well, apparently the mothers are having shoulder and hip. Well, you know what? What? Hey, here's issues. what I say. Whatever the mother wants, if she wants to be swaddled, swaddle that woman. Right. Right. If she wants ice cream, got it. You want a pizza? Here. Use a Snuggie, though, because those have pockets. Hey, so how, if she needs to grab yeah. something. How'd that Snuggie work for you on the camping trip? Apparently not so good. Hmm. See how it just – he's all pro-snuggly until yeah. you take it out into the sub-freezing world and he – now it's not such a good idea. I, I will let you know on, on what, Friday night, Saturday morning, I did look at the temperature and go, wow, it's got to be cold. Yeah. I'll go back to sleep in my I warm thought, bed. I thought the same thing, but then I thought, but he's got a Snuggie, <laughs> so he'll be fine. It's pretty cold outside. Not to be rude. Not to be rude. Hey, um, great news, by the way. Um, So we have a sponsor for the show uh, called Diddy Dental. And it's a a great sponsor. Um, You know, it's hard to get sponsors anyway. But Diddy Dental has been nothing but professional with us. And they keep coming out with a new line of of products. And today's product – uh, comes from the fact that somebody was talking about their teenager starting to, you know, kiss girls, and the the parents are worried about it, right? And so they've created a product that none of us knew about. And Ron Brokaw, who hasn't done a story for us in a long no, time, Ron, Ron is Tom Brokaw's like second cousin. I think he's selling out because he's only doing commercials these days. Is he? Yeah. yeah. Well, he uses the voice. I think a lot of people think it's Tom Brokaw. So they can get him yeah. for a lot less money. A lot less okay. money. In fact, a lot of times it's just a burger. If you just give Ron a burger, he'll do whatever. I would do a voiceover for you for a burger. Would you really? Yes. But I wouldn't narrate your entire audiobook for a burger. Darn it. That'd be like a year's worth of burgers. That's a lot of burgers. Um, so today we are uh, so proud to release the brand new product from Diddy Dental. We'll let them, we'll let them describe it. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and if you're like me, you worry about your kids going out with a significant other and giving each other a dental examination. Well, the professionals at Diddy Dental are parents, too. Doctors Funky Fresh, Bubba Gum, and Harvey Rosenthal have developed a new product as a part of their award-winning Tooth Sleuth line that will help ensure your kids don't get carried away on their big date. The Yapper Zapper is a small device that is attached to braces and retainers. If your son or daughter is kissing a significant other for more than five seconds, the Yapper Zapper will sense the foreign saliva and deliver a brief shock to the intruder. Ouch! Effectively ending a potential makeout session. Ooh, that's gotta hurt. So this Valentine's Day, for a little peace of mind and a little peace of mouth, make sure to enlist the services of the Yapper Zapper from Diddy Dental. Diddy Dental. Keeping your mouth clean since 2007. It's great. The Yapper Zapper. Would you buy that for your kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah? In fact, I would just keep my kids' braces on now till they're 18. I'm fine with that. So my uh, oldest brother offered his twins, oh, gosh, was it $1,000 if they did not kiss anyone until they were either 16 or 18. Really? Yeah. I don't recall if they've 
Dennis. So it's that's pay to no play. Yes. <laughs> that seems weird, but seeming you know it's a, it's effective apparently. I think he did it because he was quite the ladies' man when he was their age. I'm weird. I'm different because I keep trying to get my son to ask girls out. So I have to. So you give him a thousand dollars to get a date, Mm -hmm. and he gets a lot of dates, but he doesn't. Like we went to this play the other day, and I'm like, "Bring a." We had an extra ticket. Bring a friend. No, my friends wouldn't like it. No, I'm like, bring a girl friend. Bring a friend that's a girl. Mm, Nah. Why would he want to bring a girl on a first date and meet his parents? Well, because we're good people. Because you're Doctor Matt. Doctor Matt. You know, your name only carries so much clout so with the teenagers. You have no idea <laughs> how true how true that is. Hey, a 10-year-old boy drives to a store, speeds away in a police car. An erratic speeding driver who led an Ohio officer on a brief pursuit turned out to be a 10-year-old boy who took his parents' car without permission and then drove 11 miles to a nearby city to shop at a convenience store. By the way, a very proactive 10-year-old. An officer tried to stop the driver who wasn't using headlights and kept braking Sunday morning. The vehicle took off at 70 miles an hour. It eventually struck a curb and stopped in a restaurant parking lot where the officer was surprised to discover that the driver was a child. It appears he just wanted to go shopping. What? What? Get off my back. No one was hurt, but police said the boy had nearly collided head on with a tractor trailer. Scary and jeopardize the uh, the safety of others. Nobody appreciates a kid with initiative. No, I mean this we used to celebrate. I've borrowed my family's car when I was before I was sixteen, many times. But I never, and we've contacted the authorities. Yeah, but I never drove seventy miles an hour because the car couldn't go that fast. Um, anyway, so as as we leave you before our break. Um, we wanted to leave you with, again, a movie trailer. No, this is a, a TV series. A oh, TV series. Yeah. yeah. It's a TV series that um, you're not going to want to miss. On the next SCPD Night Shift. <laughs> it's 2 a.m. and I'm currently in pursuit of a half-naked male heading south on Veneer Street. I've got him clocked at 1.5 miles per hour. Most people think it's the high-speed chases that are dangerous, but it's actually the low-speed ones that give you the most trouble. The suspect appears to be topless, and it also looks like he's wielding a bottle. Uh, oh, it, he, he just took a swig from it now, and he's uh, zigzagging all over the place. I swear, these perps are looking younger and younger every day. Oh, okay, he's slowing down now. He's slowing down. Looks like his battery gave out on him. Time to take this guy into custody. Sir, do you realize how slow you were going back there? Uh, sir, I'd appreciate it if you didn't use that kind of language with me. Mama. Sir, your speech is clearly slurred. Oh, I'm going to have to place you under arrest for your safety and the safety of the other drivers. Okay, I'm going to need backup on this one. This perp is taunting the officer and he keeps getting out of his cuffs. SCPD, night shift. Cleaning up the streets of South Carolina, one toddler at a time.
When it comes to achieving success, the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around tends to be the idea that small wins add up to big victories. It's a whole lot easier to imagine the end goal, the big celebration, than to think about each tiny step along the way that'll take us to get there, right? But once you've walked the path, once you've seen and experienced firsthand how it is the small things you do day after day that leads to the success, then uh, then it's probably time that we uh, we start delivering on the small things. Joining us today is Nicholas Cole. He's a published writer, and he has uh, written um, and been published in Times, Forbes, Fortune, Inc., Huffington Post, Business Insider. Today he's here to talk to us about an article he wrote uh, titled Negative Habits to Give Up If You Want to Be Successful. Nicholas, thank you so much for being with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. You bet. It really is the little things, and yet we um, we end up it, – it's almost like we're not consistent about the little things. I mean it, like breakfast. It's, it could be as simple as the breakfast you eat, but uh, in my world, I'm so hit and miss. Am, is that normal to be hit and miss or is am I just the anomaly? I think it is normal and I think that's the, infor- the unfortunate thing um, because – Establishing those positive habits is really not that difficult, um, but it is very uh, mind-numbing, if you will, because it's something that is just very repetitive day after day. There's, it's, a, it's a quiet patience mm. um, instead of kind of like a big celebration. Oh, it's true. Right. Nobody's, nobody is so proud of what you ate for breakfast. You know what I mean? It doesn't get a lot of fanfare. <laughs> talk about yeah. talk about why a, a, a you know kind of a success writer, a business writer um, that's published as you are. How did you get on this topic? Um, you know, it's something that is very interwoven to kind of my own larger narrative. Um, just a very brief uh, synopsis. You know, when I was seventeen, I was one of the highest ranked World of Warcraft players in North America. Really, and. Uh, yeah, so I was, very, I was a very hardcore gamer as a teenager, and three years before that, that was my first computer game I'd ever played. I, I played console games, Xbox and everything, but um, in three years, I really went from never playing a computer game before to being uh, essentially a pro gamer. Um, and then same thing again, when I turned 18, I learned that I have celiac disease, so I'm allergic to wheat and gluten. And uh, same, you know, I grew up very sick, unhealthy. And all of a sudden, I knew what was causing my sickness, and I changed my diet, and I got really into lifting weights, so much so that I became a bodybuilder, and wow. four years later, I became a fitness model. So, um, <laughs> From gamer so then, to, to celiac disease to that, then to bodybuilder and then a model, a body, that's great. Right. And so then kind of like the third time, which by now I, I felt like I was starting to, it wasn't so much about the thing as much as the method to the madness. Um, then I, I graduated college with a degree in creative writing. Um, but I started my first uh, job and internship was at a digital agency where I was an entry level copywriter. And I had never taken a marketing class in my life. Um, to be honest, I always kind of had it in my mind. I just wanted to be an artist. I thought marketing was uh, like selling out, and I didn't really understand it. Um, and then again, same thing. I was mentored by the creative director, and I really took an interest in it. And three years later, I was, you know, the one bringing in the clients and the one leading the pitches and the one understanding about how to secure an investment and, and helping other businesses and giving them creative solutions. And so 
kind of watching these different chapters and looking at the milestones along the way that allowed me to take three extremely different industries, um, but still navigate them essentially in the same way. Hmm. Um, you know, you start out, you don't really know what you're doing. You have to learn the rules of the game. Um, you have to learn, you have to learn how to climb that ladder. Um, and then how you get really good at your craft until eventually you become quote unquote successful. And so when I started writing for Inc and as I've left that, uh, advertising agency, gone on my own, I'm now a full-time writer and consultant actually. Um, and so this is a big part of the narrative, you know, is, is what is the habit that creates success in the first place. And, and they tend to be, do they, do they just tend to be the little things that we don't pay attention to then? 100%. I mean, it's, for me, I'm, uh, I said this in another article, it's sort of like, by now I know that it's not an if, when I pick something, it's just a matter of when, uh, because I look around, uh, especially at a lot of my peers or my friends and, uh, or even people I work with, and it's all kind of like, why isn't this happening overnight? But on my end, I've become very used to things not happening in a week or even a month. I'm looking at it more year to year, hmm. you know, because I saw that it took me three, four years to become a pro gamer. And then I saw that it took me, you know, four or five years to completely change my physique and, and become a, a bodybuilder. And I saw that it took four years for me to understand the advertising landscape and creative marketing. And, you know, so yeah. you you have to really internalize that patience element. And, and then when you get that, you have to get down into the weeds and go, what are my daily habits that are going to allow that success to manifest on its own? That's great. And really, it's, it's incredibly hopeful because there's nothing you can't do. You just have to, I mean, realistically, I mean, you may not be the president of Russia, but um, there's nothing you can't do if you just are willing to give it the time and the, and the, and the principles. A hundred percent. It really, it, I, I'm such a firm believer in the, the tiny daily habits thing um, because I do see a lot of people, they're very quick to set the goal. They're very quick to kind of tell all their friends about it. Um, they'll do it for a couple days, and then they're amazed that everything hasn't changed overnight. Right. Um, and and it, really, it really does take, you know, I mean, even as a kid, you know, I grew up playing classical piano from the time I was, you know, 5 to 18. And even going back that far, you really see how long does it take to learn your scales? How long does it take to learn a Beethoven piece? You know, so yeah. it's one of these things, um, for me, it's become, sure, it's about the thing. You know, what do you want to be good at? What do you want to be known for? But it, it's even more so about just the art of discipline and the art of practice mm. uh, that I think a lot of people don't even think about when they are doing whatever it is that they're doing. And it, we, we live in a day and an age, it seems like, where you can really you know, create the most incredible lifestyle for yourself because th there's not one way to work anymore. Like even you as a writer, you probably have free time, but you also have to be disciplined because you've got to get your stuff out. But you probably have latitude and opportunities that you've created by just putting your head down and, and doing and being effective. Completely. I mean, now uh, everything that I do is from my laptop. Um, it's interesting. We're actually, so this week 
um, I'm launching an online course teaching people specifically how I did this with writing. Yeah. You know, because over the past four years, I've accumulated probably well over 20 million uh, readers online wow. and people that have read my work and shared it and gotten it republished in all these major publications. And, and you know, I'm a top writer on Quora for the past three years. And, like, there's obviously a method to the madness. Um, and and then next month, we're going to fly out to uh, Europe, and we're going to shoot a whole course, essentially, then taking that a step further and teaching people, specifically millennials, you know, I'm a millennial, yeah. how you can um, work and do whatever it is that you love from anywhere in the world on your laptop. Because I think yeah. that it's so much, it is so much about that lifestyle that that's what people want. But like you said, that could be great. You know, the past few months I've been traveling around. I, I live in Chicago, but I've spent more time outside of Chicago than I have in my own city. And still, you have to find time to get done whatever it is that your craft is. So sometimes that means I'm writing on airplanes. Sometimes that means I'm writing in hotel rooms, you know? Yeah. So it's if you want that sort of lifestyle, like, cause you had, as you mentioned, you really have to then understand the discipline aspect. Otherwise you're going to go right into vacation mode and then and lose <laughs> everything. Later, you're going to blow through all your runway and then you're going to be right back at an right. office job. Right. You know? So, I mean, I guess that's, that's, uh, that's one of the key keys. It sounds like is, I, I mean, knowing your vision, knowing what you want out of life and then starting to put together, um, the plan that you need to get there. One of the things you talked about in the article, 12 negative habits that you should give up if you want to be successful, maybe start running us through some of those um, and then and then we'll take a break and come back and, and finish the list. But number one, top of the list, you said eating a sugar-filled breakfast. You can't, yeah, you gotta, you, know. you gotta watch out. <laughs> so it's, and get, you know, it's even funny for me, right, because I've had all these different in, uh, interests in such different industries. You know, you don't really hear about the, the hardcore World of Warcraft player than getting super into health and fitness. Um, but in, in each one of these uh, interests of mine, I really have taken some crucial lessons that ended up helping the bigger picture that, you know, even though I'm not in the gym seven days a week anymore, I still carry with me. And a, and a really big thing that I learned was the importance of nutrition. And, for example, same thing. Like, now I spend – I mean, I'm flying probably every other week. Mm. You know, so I'm in, I'm in a different city every other week. And so you can't afford to get sick. You can't afford to be tired. You, you don't have that luxury. So um, I'm, I'm always eating very, very clean. It's also because I have those food allergies too. But yeah. sugars are the worst things, you know, because people don't really get that – when you eat a lot of sugar, it kind of hypes your body up for a second, and you feel like you have a ton of energy, but it's very short-lasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you if you eat something you know lower on the glycemic index um, for breakfast, something like oatmeal, uh, that energy is going to carry you longer into the early afternoon, um, and that's what you want. And then because so so it's almost this. We we do a counterfeit, right? We sugar up and then we try to go have our day, but then we wonder why we have no energy. So once the sugar's gone, then we just throw another chemical in, like caffeine. Then we caffeine up, and then yep. it's gone. And it's it's just it's it's a fake. And but what you're saying is it's it actually is going to rob your genius. It's going to rob your your creativity, your ability. Completely, yeah. And especially if the, if the morning is 
you know, some people are night owls. Some people are more productive in the morning. Um, and a big part, a big thing that I talk a lot about is like, if you're not happy with your job, say, you know, if you're working nine to five or nine to six and you want to do something different, you got to start doing things now in order to make that happen in the future. And if you don't have those hours between nine and six, when else are you going to do it? You're either going to do it early in the morning or you're going to do it late at night. And if you, and then the third part is if you do want to do that, you need to have energy. So you kind of have to be aware of all these different elements of self-care, if you will, yeah. um, because you have to balance them all in order to then steer your life in the direction that you want it to go. No, totally. I totally agree. Okay, let's take a break, and uh, we'll come back and continue this discussion with Nicholas Cole. You can find out uh, more about Nicholas at nicholascole.com and some of his writing about uh, success. And, and really, you can find out more, too, about his, uh, his program that, that he's been following and is creating to teach others how to, to go be independent, go you know, take your ideas to the world and get the exposure. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. Uh, joining us is Nicholas Cole. Nicholas is a top writer on Quora and also has been published in Times, in the Time uh, magazine, Forbes, Fortune, Inc., all these companies, all these uh, online um, uh, newspapers and magazines as well, the Huffington Post, Business Insider. Today he's walking us through an article he wrote about negative habits to give up if you want to be successful. It's the focus really on the little things, and uh, we've talked about the fact that, you know, if if you don't start right with, with healthy nutrition, it's going to impact you. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate you. Sure. Thanks for having me. You bet. And uh, another one you brought up is the fact that we, we need to watch out for um, showing up late. Like, uh, I mean, we got to be on time, right? And some of us have a lot of trouble with that. I think, you know, the best way to think about it is if you ever played sports growing up, you know, it's like imagine if you have that uh, hour, half hour, even 15 minutes before you get on the ice. You know, I played hockey. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you can get mentally prepared so that by the time that, you know, your skate touches down on the ice, you're in it. You're ready to go. Um, versus if everybody's already out there and they're doing laps and they're getting ready and you're running in real quick and you're throwing your pads on and then you're hitting the ice just before they blow the whistle and the game's about to start. Mm. You're going to be in very different mentalities based on which one of those you're doing. Um, so even if it's something like a meeting or uh, working working with someone, uh, scheduling a call, uh, anything, I think there's huge advantage to showing up a little bit early and getting in that frame of mind so that the moment that you start, you're in it, opposed to scrambling and then trying to find your flow 5, 10, 15 minutes into it. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost like we overestimate what we can do. You know what I mean? As humans, we just think, oh, I can, yeah, I can just hold this meeting five more minutes and then still get to the next meeting. But like you said, right. you get there running. You're not prepared to kill the next meeting. Right. And you always, you know, as much as possible, if you can stay ahead of the flow, 
um, that's a whole lot better than always playing catch up. That's right. Yeah, it's it's like surfing. You got to be ahead of the wave, otherwise yeah. <laughs> you miss the wave. And and yeah. I mean, it, it just sometimes it's just the anxiety you might feel, right? The stress or the catch up, you know. It's unnecessary, really. Totally. And it might begin with another point you bring up, which is hitting the snooze alarm. So you're not one that suggests you just keep snoozing it, snoozing it, snoozing it, then getting up? Yeah, you know, uh, one of my mentors uh, really put this the best way. Uh, and he said, you know, every night when you go to sleep and you set that alarm, you're essentially making a promise to yourself. You know, you're saying, I promise that I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and the next day, when the alarm goes off and you hit snooze, you're essentially starting your day by saying, I know I promised that I was going to do this, but eh, I, I decided I'm, I don't want to. And just from a mentality standpoint, you know, him saying that to me really stuck with me because I feel like so much of success and even the flow of our days comes down to whether we listen to ourselves or not. And if you're starting your day, by breaking that first promise, it's, you're starting off on the wrong foot for no other reason than you're just practicing the habit of I'm not going to listen to myself. So you know, true. so yeah, I think again, you know, and I mentioned this earlier is I think a lot of times people only think about the thing itself, right? They think, you know, am I sleeping in or am I not sleeping in? Um, but in every action is also this second underlying opportunity to practice the art of discipline. You know, so it's not so much just the thing itself, but everything that you do is also an opportunity for you to continue practicing doing what it is that you say you're going to do. Mm. And if you can and if you can see that in every single moment, you will get better at that art of listening to yourself and discipline, which for me is really what's allowed me to take very different interests and become very good at each one. Yeah. Because it's not the thing itself, it's the underlying foundation. Well, and worst case scenario, if all things, you know, if you still have a bad day, you still, but you exercised your discipline and it didn't all go your way, you still have discipline. I mean, right. it, that's what's great about it. In the end, you still are more. Right. Than and if you really exercise cool no goal. discipline. Right. That's cool. Um, I guess one of the things that might distract us um, or take us away from that is, saying yes to everything because at some point you got to say no and then another point you bring up is a lot of us are doing too many things at one time right it's um unfortunately i think this is way more of a an emotional uh issue than anything else because i i think it does come from a good place in people you know people want to help people people don't want to let people down um, but there's, it's like a bell curve, you know, there's a, there's a sweet spot and then there's the point both sides of that bell curve are, you know, before it, you're not helping anybody. And so you're selfish. Um, but then past the bell curve is you're trying to help too many people or you're saying yes to too many things and you end up, you know, as the old cliche goes, you chase two rabbits and you catch neither one. Right. So um, there is that, I think, sweet spot of really saying yes to the things that you can deliver on um, and you also genuinely want to do. And for me, it was really uh, business that taught me this, business and entrepreneurship, because people that are in business, it's, 
it's really not an emotional thing. It's like, if you can't work with me or you can't help me, that's totally fine. I just want to know so that I can either hire someone different or work someone work with someone different. Um, and, and it's a lot, it's a lot better to be transparent um, than it is to promise to do something and then not be able to deliver. Mm. No, totally. Totally. And um, I, I can, I mean, again, as somebody that you, you kind of just keep, you're a renaissance man in a way, you keep just recreating yourself and, but meanwhile, building this, this better you. One of the points you bring up that I think might blow some people's minds is the idea that you might also need to give up hanging out, right? You might need to give up some social – it doesn't mean every part of your social life, but you can't right. just hang with buddies every night and still you know, get up early the next morning and go hit it again. You know, and I feel like this is one of those things where um, it is difficult. Like if, if you weren't in the, the world of online gaming, this is a little bit difficult to understand, but this was really – how I learned this lesson as a teenager. Um, because when I, when I was in high school, you know, those years are kind of like <laughs> even more so than college, I'd say the peak of hanging out, you know, you just go over to your friend's basement and you just like watch TV and then you chill. Um, and I spent all of my time playing world of Warcraft with, you know, people that became my friends on the internet. But the thing was that all of us were so committed to whatever it was our goals were in that game that we became friends by playing together, but we were all at the same time working towards some goal. And that, I mean, that's something that still sticks with me because even my friends today, um, the way that I spend time is not really like we're all just going to hang out. The people that I'm friends with are also the same people that I'm working towards something with or we're creating something together. Uh, and I think that that's really the big difference. You, you can become great friends with people that help you along your path, and you guys are all working towards similar things, um, and it ends up being an even more rich relationship rather than just let's all, you know, let's all just hang out. Let's, yeah, you know, yeah. Watch movies, sit around the living room, and, like, there's a time and place for that, I suppose, but for me personally, that is, like, 1% of where my time is spent. Sure, sure. So, Nicholas, we have about uh, 30 seconds. What would you say is is the number one thing? If we could just do one thing today that would dramatically impact our ability to start making this change to being the person we want to be in our business and our lives, what would you say is the one thing? Pick whatever one thing you want and start to do it every single day and just watch what happens. It doesn't matter what you pick. Just pick one thing and then start to track that improvement day after day, and you'll start to learn the art of discipline. Power. Powerful and basic, isn't it? Uh, Good stuff. We appreciate you. Nicholas Cole's his name. Go to his website, nicholascole.com. He's got free courses and and, uh, email courses as well. A lot of great stuff and resources there, plus all of the articles that he's written for Inc. and Time, Forbes, all of those places. So great stuff, folks. We will take a break, come back, and... uh, We're talking with Caitlin Thomas up next. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to Backward Day. 
Here is our shopping music for our online shopping segment with Caitlin Thomas. Have you ever tried to buy a product online? Pay and never get that product that you ordered? Have you ever had some stranger waste your time and energy when they hack into your online accounts? Sorry about that. I did that once to you, Caitlin. I think in this age of technology, we have all experienced something similar to this. It's frustrating, can even be costly. So Caitlin Thomas is here with us this morning to share her experiences as an online buyer and a seller and to give us some tips on how to make better online decisions. Hello, Caitlin. Good morning. How are you? Good. Will you make him turn that music off? What is that? It's backwards music. So we're listening to it. Twisted. He's really good at it. He's been. He, he's a master of playing things backwards, looking oh. for certain messages. So sh- are you going to be like a backwards DJ on the side? Is yeah. That I'm going to wear my pants backward too, like uh, oh, okay. crisscross. Do you remember Chris? You wouldn't remember Chris. I remember Chris. But you've cross is dead to you. Cross is dead to um, me. Yeah. So online, you've had a bad okay. experience, it sounds so, like. Well, yeah. Just recently, over the Christmas break, my mom's – I mean, I don't know if everyone heard, but Yahoo got hacked. And oh, yeah. My mom was one of them. Some – and he, so we got access to all of her stuff, like her Amazon account, and started selling these weird sneakers online and, I don't know, racked <laughs> up a ton of money oh on my, my mom's heavens. credit card. I mean, she stopped it. So she it was just really inconvenient because he hacked her Apple iCloud and everything. She had to go change all the passwords. Wow. And then, you know, recently I've been trying to sell some of my pageant gowns since yeah. I've recently retired from the pageant Your business. Your tiaras. And I've just had a couple of experiences where I, I think I'm making a good sell and I send it. Like, for example, I sent one and and the lady or whoever bought it was like, yeah, this is great. Love it. They paid the money. They got the dress. And then a week later, they had the dress for a whole week, um, complained and, you know, demanded a $50 refund because apparently there was something wrong with the dress after a week. Oh, really? And so now we're in this big dispute on PayPal where my mom's like, well, you can either send the dress back and get your money back or you can keep it and give me the money. Like, I'm not... We're not going to make it $50 cheaper. Though. So anyway. Right, right. So we're just in the middle of all of these online scams. And it got me thinking, like, I can't be the only one, right? Yeah, no. A lot of people out there are getting people. taken advantage of. So, and apparently there was a study that said millennials are more likely to get taken advantage of online than seniors. Really? Yeah. Well, because, you're, because you're, we've grown you're up on the more. internet. Yeah. So we think, to us, it's just this normal. This is life. Like, this yeah. is how it's happening. We don't see, we're not quite as skeptical as probably yeah. your generation. Right. No, is, we then. don't understand them Techno things. Techno things. They but, scare us. So I have a couple of tips. Okay. I mean, I'm not the smartest person. No, you on the are. Block, but you know, you're plenty smart. You've given me this segment, so I do what I can. Nail it. The first one is use different passwords for different accounts. That's what my mom's problem was. Mix she it had up. the same password for everything. Yeah. So as soon as he hacked her Yahoo, he hacked everything. Oh. Switch it up, and then. Like, if you're like me and my mom and you have a hard time remembering your passwords, write them down, but keep them somewhere safe, probably in your house. Like, don't put them on your phone because if somebody yeah. steals your phone. Well, they have password apps that you can just put it in and lock your lock your oh, password see, app cool. and then it has every password there you, you go, got. Mom, but password then what app. if you forget that password? Well, that one you just make so obvious you can never forget it. Okay. Or yeah, that one you write down. I just put one, on two, desk. three, four. No, just kidding. That's your password? So switch it up. Yeah. Or every so often go in and you can reset your passwords. Yeah. So like do that pretty frequently. Twice a year maybe. Mm-hmm. Switch up those passwords. Change them so that uh, people – you're not predictable online. It's good. It's great advice. So, I mean just take a day and start doing it. Watch a Netflix movie and change all your passwords. passwords. Yeah, it's not that hard. Um, also, if you're trying to sell something online, especially through Facebook pages, which is where a lot of people will sell stuff um, you know, to different states – just look out for people using words like, okay, I'll send you a check, and then I'll have someone come pick it up for me. Yeah. 
Because more than likely they're going to send you a fake check that isn't going to really clear. Ooh, and then yeah. whoever they're delivery no. do it through you could do it through paypal or another pay device right because right. then or they even like venmo venmo yeah, is venmo. safe because you get your money paypal the only problem my mom and i are having is right so this person that bought the dress is now making a dispute so yeah. we don't have the money but um you know stuff like venmo is pretty safe or just try really hard to sell locally before you yeah. go yeah you could have them sell come it to in your, your house, neighborhood you know like do that um so pay, PayPal is good. It protects you as the buyer, but doesn't always protect the seller. So just mm-hmm. be aware of that when you're selling. Um, a common scam involves people sending emails that ask the recipient to click on a hyperlink or open an attachment and then enter personal information, yeah. like a bank account number. Yeah. Like, we need your, I'm going to yeah. route this we need into you, your yeah, account. Right. Um, don't do it. Don't ever give don't your password away online, even do if it not, looks like it's from your bank. Yeah, do not put – Do never. a bank would never ask you to put account information That's in. Right. Online. You can always look for that little lock thing in the URL, yeah. uh, whatever it's Box called, up in top. the browser window. It's just like, don't, and definitely, please, I know that this sounds like common sense, but my generation doesn't get it. Do not give away your social security number. Duh! We learned that the old-fashioned uh, way. I've had friends do that online. Well, this is great like, advice, no. and I'm sorry you went through torture. Yeah, and watch out for fraud over social media sites. Yeah. Don't trust every offer, you know, oh, free shipping. And when you and when you see it, block it or make a comment. You can send it back to Facebook and say, these people can't be trusted. Caitlin, you're the best. Thanks. Keep it up. Stay safe online. Stay safe online. Remember who you are. Just looking out for you. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here uh, with Jeffrey Simpson on the board, surfing like you've never seen someone surf. Terry will be here shortly to give us the news, all the latest and greatest headlines. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we do what we can to give you uh, the latest research, you know, and information you need. Some of it's even important. We're back at this, huh? This is uh, also backwards day. We're celebrating everything that is goes backwards, I guess. Sounded like an episode of Twin Peaks. Remember that show? Yeah. Where they go into that room. I don't know if it's like the black room or something. And there's that little person that's like. Really? How was that little kid? The little person? (laughs) That when we play music backwards, my brain seriously gets turned upside down. I don't know what it is. It feels like, I don't know. It's like. Barry Manilow. What's wrong with Barry Manilow? Nothing, but when I listen to Barry Manilow, my brain does the exact same thing. Oh, Maddie. Mandy? No, Maddie. Is it Maddie? It is now. Hey, um, oh, Maddie. Um, got a lot to talk about today, and some of it's, you know, news. Uh, some of the news, again, you won't believe this, but Donald Trump keeps making announcements that, that, uh, Get all the news all riled up. Today he's got a big announcement on his Supreme Court nominee. 
remember, 8 p.m. Eastern. 8 p.m. Eastern, right in prime time. Now, Donald was going to do this on Thursday, but apparently wanted to move it up. Uh, I don't know if he's officially said why. Many are suggesting it's because he's in a lot of turmoil right now with the immigration ban. No, no, no. It's vital and very important to the, the functioning of our country. Yeah. And apparently he's also ahead of schedule. So he will throw that out tonight at 8 p.m. And then we will probably get to hear about that nomination for what? The next year? Yeah. Because the Democrats may, you know, pull a Merrick Garland on him. Did I have this here? And push against it. Yeah. Okay. They plan on doing that. So it's kind of. Oh, fun. They'll stall it because, you know, why not? Yeah, why not? I mean, if you can. Why? I mean, just stop. Let's just let's not get along. Uh, Also joining us in a minute will be Dr. Ron Hager, the health evangelist, we call him. And uh, a lot of times he gets the question, hey, what's the best thing for whatever? What's the best thing for this? What's the best thing for this? So Ron's going to uh, be talking about the best thing, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, life, health. All things to make us healthier. We'll get to that. Of course, we'll visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Plus, we will be doing a hero story and a bunch of other headlines. A lot of it's going to be empty news from the Matt Townsend Show news. But first to the real news with Terry South. Terry, what uh, do we need to be paying attention to? President Trump met with drug company executives this morning to discuss lowering costs of medication. Drug companies get away with murder, Trump claimed in the run-up to his inauguration in a belief that is shared by Democrats who have long believed the government should push for lower drug prices for Medicare and Medicaid. You folks have done a tremendous job, but we have to get these prices down, Trump reportedly told the executives Tuesday, except there's no uh, what no list of la- – all the other meetings, there's a list of who's in there. Yeah. Like all the automotive this meetings. This one they didn't the tech, list. There's it. no list. All that says meeting with pharma was on his schedule. And it's much to be some guy named Jerry Pharma. Could be. On Monday, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida said that he has been asking the State Department for clarification about the chaotically rolled out executive order on refugees and immigration. That President Trump signed last Friday, noting that Florida's tourist-heavy economy is at risk. My staff was told... Uh, was told the State Department, as of today, was ordered not to talk to Congress about the issue, about this issue. When a reporter asked him why, Rubio said, I don't know. Hmm. So there you go, communication. Communication 101. Uh, other news, Rep- Virginia Representative Dave Bratt is finding out that his constituents, especially women, would kind of like to keep the Affordable Care Act around. He says, since Obamacare and these issues have come up, the women are, quote, in my grill no matter where I go. So I'd share that. That was funny. Uh, President Donald Trump has yet to announce his Supreme Court nominee, but Senate Democrats are already plotting to filibuster anyone not named Merrick Garland. We will use every lever in our power to stop this, vowed Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon to uh, political. A very large number of my colleagues will be opposed by the current rules. Trump's nominee will need at least 60 votes to be confirmed. The Senate is made up of 52 Republican senators. 46 Democratic senators and two left-leaning independents. Mm. Democrats view filibuster as a payback for former President Obama's pick of Merrick Garland of not being seated. They see it as a stolen Supreme Court seat. Interesting. So, yeah, they're going to fight. Just uh, kind of public notice, we have to do that occasionally here as we we try to serve the public. Yeah. A truck-sized asteroid passed within 4,000 miles of Earth on Sunday, just hours after it was first spotted by scientists. This is happening more and more. I think they're reporting it. I think it happens all the time. They probably thought, hey, is that a truck out there? 
It was a very, very near miss. The moon, by comparison, is 238,000 miles away. This came 40,000 miles. So the moon is 238. This came. So this came between Earth and the moon. This was close. Yeah. Uh, the asteroid is estimated to be approximately 15 feet by 33 feet in size. You can breathe a sigh of relief, though, because to cause a, quote, worldwide disaster, worldwide effects, an asteroid would probably have to be about a mile wide. Okay. Well, we so we can take a little asteroid. Yeah. So we'll be all right. I mean, it, odds are to land in the ocean. Right. There's so much water. Yeah. And who's out there? Like, and, well, what, just some Hawaii? guy in a fishing boat. Yeah. I mean, come on. It'll be fine. As I've uh, pointed out earlier, yesterday, I was going to say earlier this week, but that would be Monday. That would be Um, yesterday. There is a toy convention going on in New York. Yeah. Lots of new toys. Love it. I shared a Nerf gun with you yesterday that shoots foam balls 70 miles an hour. Right. There are other Nerf weapons that have been created. This one's called uh, The Judge. (laughs) Judge Judy? There's a line called uh, of Nerf guns called Nerf Doomlands. Ooh. Yeah. So this one's called The Judge. It's the biggest and craziest themed blaster yet. Um, let's see. It's a giant orange barrel of a gun with a rotating cylinder that holds 10 sets of triple dart holders. Triple dart holders. It fires three darts at a time like a huge shotgun. <gasps> wow. It's it looks like an airplane engine. It's it's humongous. It's wonderful. It's a loud dart. I think that would be so much fun to own and to. But then you'd be picking up Nerf darts. Yeah, but it'd totally be worth it. Now you're the guy that got your family. You bought your family Nerf guns. I did. You, the misses, and your son. I did. And uh, how, how's that going? You guys still play with those? Or? We do. We do. Uh, there is a slight limitation on my son not being able to actually load the gun properly. Yeah, so that so slows when, down the game. When he goes, hey, Dad, let's shoot at each other, I'll pull him out and I'll, I'll just fire like six darts at him. And then he gets mad because he can't shoot one. So you went from the noodle that you used to beat the boy with yes. um, to now the dart gun where you just put him up against a wall and shoot at him. Yeah, pretty much. Please tell me you then wore matching sweaters and headed over to Olin Mills. No. <laughs> this is just about. Are they even in business anymore? I don't know. Great star. Yeah, um, this is a, a large, uh, a large dart gun that you would have need to have a backpack to carry around. No, yeah, you'd probably also really need to have really a strong core. Yeah, to just hold it. And no word if it comes with some sort of shoulder apparatus so you can like hold it around yeah. you like a strap of some kind. <laughs> so yeah, or a dolly. It, it, maybe you need Could a be. dolly. It is quite the, the hefty, uh, the hefty machine there. So holy cow. Uh, Dr. Ron Hager will be here to maybe we can ask him. Yeah. You know what? If you have to carry a big gun like that, what exercises? What's the would best help? thing you could do to get your core in shape? You could also <sighs> ask his opinion of Big Mac sauce. What about it? We talked last week. They were celebrating the anniversary of the Big Mac that they had limited edition yeah. Big Mac sauce. Yeah, you can get you can get you can buy it and buy the gallon. The, by the bottle. By the bottle. It, it was free at participating locations, just a, a small amount at each right. location. Um, now that you can find them on eBay for $50,000 if you'd like to purchase those. Really? Yeah. I was going to get Dr. Ron Hager a bottle of Big, uh, Mac, Big sauce. Mac sauce. Yeah, I think he'd like that. He can't keep his hands off it. Fifty grand though, might be a little steep. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it uh, might be a little. Jeff, know, can I borrow some money? Wishful thinking for people. <laughs> yeah. How much do you need? About 49000 $998. Oh, wow. Let me finish out the year first. Okay. And then come back to me. <laughs> Talk to my tax guy. Okay. 
Let me get my taxes done. Um, <laughs> so sad. Hey, uh, we, we on the show, We a lot of times we want to help. In fact, all the time we're here yes. to help. Every day. And we want to coach the con because there's a lot of cons that struggle out there. So this is a little advice to anybody that's planning a burglary. Uh, I guess any type of robbery, mm. any theft really. A man suspected of breaking into a Connecticut animal hospital looking for drugs made it easy for police to track him down. He left his keys and his cell phone behind. Ah, common so mistake. So that's the problem is once you get the drugs, you just run. And then when you get to your car, you're like, ah, blasted. Maybe he was posting it on Facebook with his phone or taking a selfie. That's probably it. Totally it. He was looking up all the different drugs on his phone. Police responded to a burglar alarm at the pet hospital recently to find a rear window broken out and the blood on the window frame. Inside, police say they found a trail of blood on the floor along with the keys and a phone. Hmm. So apparently he's bleeding out at the vet's office. Sad. They say it appears the burglar was looking for drugs. Police traced the phone to 31-year-old Nicholas Bruner, charged him with third-degree burglary, second-degree criminal mischief. He's free on a $10,000 bill. But I wonder how they knew it was actually Bruner. Right. What? Just the fact that his arm was bleeding? Well, if the trail of blood leads to you, possibly you're involved. And if he had the pet hospital drugs in his pocket. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why do so many people get out on bail? Why don't they just stay in prison instead of paying ten or fifty thousand dollars? Because you you can go see the bail bondsman guy, but you're never going to be able to pay that back. Well, you know, you only, you only pay ten percent. I think it's ten yeah. percent you have to pay. Oh, still, but just they, stay in jail. But the hard part is then you got to have Dog the Bounty Hunter after you forever, and his wife Gladys. No, no. I would be surprised uh, if they're Myrtle, still married. Darla, I think it's Darla the Dog Bounty Myrtle? Hunter. Not Myrtle. That's not someone else. Bertha? Nope. Sorry. Just go name. to uh, the Clowny Hunter. He only charges five uh, percent. Yeah. Go to the Clowny Hunter. He's he's he, and you know what? He won't hassle you because he can't usually find you again. He's the perfect bounty hunter. We, <laughs> the Clowny Hunter, uh, one of our great sponsors of the show as well. So um, that's that's just sad. So you were saying the Super Bowl? Yeah. They're already hyping up the Super Bowl. It's Tuesday. Yes. But they're already having the pre-Super Bowl, like... They had media day yesterday. I know, but media day, it's early, right? Well, no, they usually do it early in the week so they can get all that stuff out of the way and focus on the game. It's about the game. Yeah. Because they had... I just saw they have a um, look-alike Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady that actually doesn't look like Tom Brady. But people... So what they're saying is people don't know what Tom Brady looks like. He's probably, what, like a 6'4 guy with really long hair. Right. Absolutely. Sad. But apparently ticket prices for the big game, as everyone has to call it. Yeah, the big game because you can't. down. Yeah. The average price tickets to the matchup between the Falcons and the Patriots down 9% from last year's game, according wow. to StubHub, where you can get this stuff. Yeah. Uh, it would be so the average ticket price could drop another five to $600 if the week goes, says this uh, website. The average t- uh, price on Friday, so last Friday, was uh, $4,945. Really? That was the cheapest ticket going. That's the average price. The cheapest ticket going for $2,499. So $2,500 for a ticket. What do you think, Matt? Nah, that's a lot. Not worth it for the big game when you can just go borrow a television. Actually, buy a television. Right. Go watch it and then take the TV back. Take it right back. But you were going to spend fifty grand on Big Mac sauce. Yeah, but I was doing that for Ron Hager. Oh, yeah. I would never buy that for myself. And you were really That's going to kill you. Uh, It says the most expensive ticket to date for this game is $15,000. Really? Yeah. 
Where do you get a sit for 50 grand? It doesn't say. Okay. I hope, hopefully it's a good seat. I would rather watch it on TV and have nachos worth $50,000. Or 15. But of course, those prices are down 9% from last year, so it's a depressed market. (laughs) But it's a depressed season, right? Weren't... Wasn't the weren't the ratings down like fifteen percent anyway? Right, it got better year. later in the season. But well, yeah, because competition. But then the playoffs happened. And it was like in. one good game. I saw I saw um, something on I don't know one of the one of the stations that said about only twenty seven percent of the people want the Patriots to win. Yeah, well, they they won like six. I know, but or no, they won five. They've gone to six. But Tom Brady's, you know. Now you're talking about TVs. Yeah. Is it better to buy a TV on Black Friday or before the Super Bowl? What do you think the better, better prices? Price price wise? Wise, yeah. Black Friday or before the Super Bowl? I'm going with Super Bowl because that Black Friday everything's on sale. Well So yeah. they give you even a better deal. But usually what they say is usually before Black Friday the TVs that are on sale are the off brand ones. Those are uh. the ones they're trying to get you in the store with. Mm-hmm. And so it's like Joe Bob's TV bait and company sweet. or something. Bait yeah. and switch. Um, they say before the uh, they say two weeks before the Super Bowl, it beats Black Friday for scoring low prices on the highest quality of TVs. During the holidays, many retailers push older models or off-brand sets. While this time of year, stores clear out as many TVs as they can mm. for 2016 because the new models, the new model year for TVs, hit in March. Oh wow! So this is the perfect time to buy a new TV. So everything must go. You know, let's post those. Let's post those stats and that information so that husbands can then take that to their wives to make the big decision <laughs> about. Should we? Do we need the TV? Yeah, honey. Right. It'll never get better than right now. Yeah. My wife's never into that discussion. What's it going to take to get you into this TV? Yeah. It's a great question that my salespeople And then when, once you get there, it's like 4K yeah. or not to 4K. Oh, yeah. that's too expensive. Yeah. No, it's not 4K. 4K is just like the digital, like the di- how many the dots per. Oh, that's, that's too expensive. How many, uh, yeah. How much PSI that. It makes Television things look. Has. I, my brother has one. It makes things look too real. Yeah, it's like four thousand psi You're pounds watching. per square inch that you can put on the television. I can't stand more than like twelve hundred psi. <laughs> we probably ought not be talking about psi with the Patriots. Right, we're going to create problems there. Anyway, it's time to buy a television. Get into it. Uh, you won't need one to listen to our next guest. Take a break. We will be back. Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us. We call him the health evangelist, and uh, he's here to help you live longer and, of course, healthier. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Whenever you hear this music, you know it's time to get healthy. How better to do that than with our own Professor Ron Hager. Ron is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. His expertise is chronic disease prevention, and we call him the health evangelist. He's here today to help us understand. uh, He gets asked this question all the time. Hey, Ron, what's the best thing for whatever? And you have to answer it. Yeah, well, I, I try and answer it. But for, I have a question for you. Yeah. Is that really my music? It's your. We used to have other music that yeah. we thought was even more health evangelist-like, and we can't play it. Okay. Well, that's all right. I like this. That was pretty hip, don't you think? Yeah. It's very up. 
I've never had my own music. Yeah. No, yeah. In fact, um, Jeff will store that music away and forever that will be yours. Yeah. Unless we find a better one. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. So, so what is the best thing? That's a question I get. And so it came back to me yesterday. I was teaching my class, my chronic disease prevention class. We were talking a little bit about uh, you know, the benefits of exercise and physical activity and reducing risk of death from anything, right. basically. Um, and you know, we, we reviewed some studies where uh, researchers compared – Large groups of people, you know, within a group, they compared the highest fit to the lowest fit over, you know, eight or ten or twelve year period, and, you know, not surprisingly, they saw that those who were most fit had lower rates of death than those who were least fit, and so the question, you know, student raised their hand and says, "What's the best best thing I can do to get fit?" Yeah, and um, and and I think a lot of students and a lot of people. You know, when they hear about the results of those kinds of studies, high fit versus low fit. I mean, if I asked you, uh, Matt, what you know, what you thought it meant to be high fit, like like for yourself, what would what would high level? Like what's fitness my be? high level of fitness? Yeah, uh, running high fit would be running five miles a day. Right. Okay. And working out, other than that, another hour a day. Yeah, and so a lot of people feel the same way, which is probably why they don't do it. They don't do it. Like that's high fit. That sounds Because incredible. that's high fit. Right. So, so the first thing I pointed out was that in these studies, high fit, uh, you know, the author said, okay, well, you know, let's define high fit. Mm-hmm. Of course, remember, it's within this group. Mm-hmm. And high fit, in order to be considered high fit, you would have to do brisk walking 30 to 60 minutes a day. Yeah. So that's what it took. That's all it took in that group. Yeah. Well, that that or and other studies and, too. Yeah. But that that's the level of that's fitness. all you need. That's the level of effort required to achieve the level of fitness that you need to maximize your well, that's, reduction of risk. Well, that's doable. Yeah. So so when the question comes up, you know, and and of course this is what is the best dot dot dot. Yeah. Uh, I get questions on well, what's the best supplement? Right. What's the best Weight loss program. So what's the breakfast. best piece of exercise right. equipment? What's yeah? What's the be, you know? What's the best thing I could eat for breakfast? Or uh, you know, all kinds of questions like that. And you know, I mean, there's no shortage of product out there, right? You know, there's no shortage of diet, diet or weight loss programs. There's no shortage of supplements. There's no shortage of exercise equipment. Um, and yet, people are still asking that question as if there's some magical or mystical product out there that if you could just learn what just it was. Just do this one thing. Yeah, and if it didn't cost as much as, what was the sauce? Burger King? Yeah, Burger King. Fif- Burger- no, Mi- McDonald's, McDonald's Big Mac Big sauce, $50,000. Yeah, maybe that's the best thing. That Maybe then people <laughs> would say, well, forget that. I'll just yeah. figure something else out. Right, right. But that's really what people have to do is figure out what's going to work best for them. So I thought maybe in answer to that question, uh, you know, we might focus on, because we can't answer all of those, obviously, today. Uh, but maybe, you know, for people who want to know what, what is the best diet or what's the best food or, or, or whatever, you know, yeah. that you can eat. Now, I hear a commercial all the time on, on the radio um, for something called Texas Superfood. Mm. Like oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a supplement. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's got the equivalent of like eight tons of vegetables packed into one <laughs> pill right. or something like that, you know. Um, anyway, you know, for people who have deficiencies uh, and, you know, most most Americans probably don't have an optimal diet, I would say. Uh, you know, some kind of a supplement might not be a bad idea. Uh, I don't take a supplement. 
but I but I try and you know make sure I'm yeah, eating, yeah, you eating eat the healthy. way I should. Uh, you know, so so here's another question for you. When I say you know when I I say this phrase, what's the t- typical American diet? I, I mean the typical American breakfast. Breakfast. Yeah. So typical American breakfast. What what uh, what foods come I, to your mind? I'm I'm thinking sugar cereal. Okay. Yeah. Um, toast. Okay. Oil and a breakfast sandwich from somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. And if you think about, uh, you know, your if you were going to eat at home, it might be something like uh, bacon and eggs. Yeah. And maybe. Yeah. A, sh- a short stack of pancakes right. or something. Kind of like the, you know, the Grand Slam breakfast right. or whatever. You know, that, that's the all-American I mean, it sounds breakfast. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, what you said, you know, the, sugar, the sugar-based cereals is a big product oh. uh, nowadays. Um, I've always been in, it, it, it kind of intrigued by the, the way they advertise the sugar-based cereals. You know, they say that it's part of a nutritious breakfast. And they always show it with <laughs> like a glass of juice, a slice of whole wheat toast. Fruit. And a little bowl of fruit. Yeah. And I mean, you, very, could, you could dump the cereal out and fill it full of dirt, and you could say that that dirt was part, part. of a nutritious. It's breakfast a very, too. very small part, yeah. of a nutritious yeah. balanced so, milk. Yeah, so so let's go back to this typical American breakfast and where the idea of bacon and eggs even came from. Because believe it or not, that wasn't until fairly recently. Really, a typical American breakfast. Yeah, it all started with a man named Edward Bernays. Uh, he's the the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Oh wow! And he he kind of combined. He he was uh, a pioneer in the field of public relations and propaganda. And Bernays sauce. And Bernays sauce. Yeah, could be. Uh, it's not spelled the same. Okay. I mean, in his obituary, he was referred to as the father of public relations. Really. So he had a very significant impact, and he combined the ideas of social psychology with kind of uh, psychoanalytical ideas yeah. of his uncle Sigmund, um, and he was hired in the 1920s by the Beechnut Packing Company. So have you ever heard of the, yeah, Be- the Beechnut Beech- 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 Gum? Packing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but they were also a meat packing company, and they wanted to increase consumer demand for bacon. Their bacon sales were down, and they thought, <laughs> huh. is there any way we could get bacon sales to take off? And uh, call that PR guy. Yeah, so they called him, and they hired him. Uh, you know, and, and, at, and at that time, remember that the typical American breakfast was usually some kind of fruit, like an apple or a banana or an orange, a small bowl of porridge, which yeah. was like a hot cereal, like a, a wheat-based or oat-based cereal, like oatmeal, uh, and a cup of coffee. Done. That was the typical American breakfast back in the 1920s. But if you ask somebody typical American breakfast today, I mean, other than maybe the cup of coffee, yeah. those things are not even on the radar. Right. Um, so uh, Bernays asked the company physician. A lot of large companies have their own in-house doctors. Uh, asked the company physician if he thought that it was a good idea – uh, you know, to suggest that a more hearty breakfast would be a, a way to replenish uh, lost energy <laughs> after a long night's yeah. sleep. And, and of course, the physician knows where his bread is buttered. Literally, and, yeah. And, yeah, literally. And, and, he said, and, and he said, uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, I, can, I can promote that. I can go for that. A hearty breakfast. Hearty. Yeah, so, so then it became the, the opportunity to define what a hearty breakfast meant. So this physician, in-house physician, sent letters to 5,000 other physicians to get their opinion. And soon the headlines read that thousands of physicians agree that a hearty breakfast <laughs> of bacon and eggs was a more healthy approach to starting your day. Oh, my heavens. And, no now and, and, and now you've got this fake research. And, 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 and now, now 
bacon is yeah. considered a breakfast staple, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, so, and I'm not hammering necessarily on bacon, although it is a processed meat that you could probably stay away from if you want to avoid colon cancer. Yeah, if you want to live. Yeah, if you want to live. Uh, so, uh, so now, almost a hundred years later, you know, we're still stuck in that mode that you know, bacon and eggs, bacon and eggs. Right. Um, uh, and, and Bernays actually wrote a book called Propaganda. That was the title that was, of the book. Yeah. And here, here's a quote from it. If we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, it is, not, it, uh, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing about it? The recent practice of propaganda has proved that it is possible at least up to a certain point within certain limits. Hmm. So he really pushed that envelope. Uh, you know, now, now that statement should make a lot of people a little upset, yeah. you know, that – that somebody out there who's promoting products doesn't really have your best interest right. at heart. They're, they're just really trying to see how far they can get to the edge. Yeah. And still, but we've and seen that, still, right, with the tobacco yeah. industry, sure. now the sugar industry, Coca-Cola. Sure. And, and, that's, and that's kind of one of the messages I want to make sure people understand today that, uh, for example, the food industry, uh, they, they're not interested in your health. Right. They're not. They might say they are. Right. By, by saying, you know, well, low trans fat or low fat or low sodium products or whatever. See, see how much we care about you? Look, if nobody ever bought those products, they wouldn't manufacture them right. anymore. It's not about your health. I heard somebody say once, we have, a, we have a food industry that doesn't care about your health and we have a health industry that doesn't care about your food. Mm. But somehow those two things. They're missing it. Yeah, they need to match up. So, so if you think about. It's kind of some of the, the advertising campaigns. Now, this goes back to bacon. I saw a commercial on TV not too long ago. Remember, bacon is, is the premier breakfast product, right? right. The, yeah. So a dad in this commercial walks into this, to, the, to his own living room uh, at after school time in the afternoon, and his son and a couple of his friends are sitting in the living room playing video games. And there's a plate of bacon on the table, you know, the little coffee table, as if it's some kind of after-school yeah. snack. <laughs> like and, apple slices. And the dad walks in, and he's trying to be all cool, you know, yeah. and, and his son's actually getting a little embarrassed. And, and finally his son says, okay, dad, gee, take the bacon, you know, because that, that's, that's why the dad was in there. He's in there chumming him up, yeah. Yeah, so the, so the dad gets the bacon, and his eyes get real big, and he hustles out of the living room and leaves <laughs> his kids alone with the bacon because it's more than just a breakfast product, now, right? right? It's something you can have any time. You can pull it out any time now. So anyway, so, so think about this. There, you know, some of the recent uh, marketing data that you can find online, the food and beverage industry marketing budget uh, in recent years is about $7 billion. Wow. And if you combine that with restaurant marketing, yeah, over $11 billion total annually. Eleven spent, billion dollars spent to market food to get and, you and restaurants. Yeah. Now compare that. Have you heard of the, Have you heard of the five a day program? Uh, Does that ring a bell? Five vegetables a day. Yeah, five fruits and vegetables yeah. a day. Yeah. It was a national campaign. It's kind of you know a little bit of the wind has come out of the sails, but but it's a, a national campaign. Uh, the five a day program to get five servings and fruits and vegetables a day was allotted four point eight million dollars. For an annual budget, four point eight to counteract eleven, 11 billion. billion. Yeah, that it's, makes sense. It's not going to work. Not going to work not at all. Not going to work. <laughs> oh, brother. Okay, we'll be back more with Dr. Ron Hager. Uh, you know, what's the best thing to do? He's guiding us uh, as the health evangelist that he is. He'll give us some insight into what we need to do, the decisions we need to make. It sounds like one thing we need to pay attention to is how we're being marketed to. 
you know, they're, they're ganging up on us. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. There's the music that says, hey, the health evangelist is in the studio. Dr. Ron Hager joins us. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at BYU. And he's today answering the question, what is the best dot, dot, dot? Whatever. But today we're talking about diet, the things you can eat. Yeah, right. And you also were talking about the fact that $11 billion is spent to get you to eat either at a restaurant or... Or certain or just manufactured foods, yeah. foods yeah. versus $5 million is being spent to get you to eat fruits and vegetables, five-a-day program. Yeah. I mean most people can, can remember things like the jingles that they hear from yeah. you know, fast food restaurants oh, yeah. or, or the phrases that have become associated with you know, like breakfast cereals mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that. Uh, They're when, great. Exactly. When, but when was the last time, Matt, you can remember – <laughs> kind of, kind of seen a commercial that sort of blew you away uh, about broccoli. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, no. boy, I, I just can't get that broccoli That's jingle right. out of my head. That broccoli jingle just is such a fun jingle. Right. So, so, so true. So there's just no way to compete. There's just no way to compete. You know, 100 years ago, processed foods were basically non-existent. Right. Uh, they just didn't exist. So a lot, a lot has changed. Oh. And, and it's, all, it's all because of the money. I mean, now it's the norm. I talked to a woman the other day. Uh, you know, she was asking me kind of what's the best, what's the best way to get my kids, mm-hmm. you know, and she was talking about what they eat. And and she told me that she had an eight-year-old um, who only would eat chicken nuggets. Yeah. You know, only, uh, you know, it's like that's all he wanted. He wouldn't put anything else in his mouth. And by the way, uh, don't don't be uh, – I'm not, I'm not like some kind of conspiracy theorist, but uh, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to, to say that these these food industry uh, R and D people, uh, you know, try and make things as palatable, if oh, not yeah. as addictive, yeah. as possible. Yeah. Okay. So so she acted like if she didn't give her son what he wanted, he was going to starve to death. Well, <laughs> I try and get him to eat other things, but he just won't. And then she kind of is like, well, I guess if all he'll eat chicken nuggets, what choice do I have, right? <laughs> and uh, so you know, I I asked her. I said, well, do you even know what's in a chicken nugget? I mean, I. I do you even know what, where the nugget is? I mean, what, do you even know? Like, how do you if, – if all of a sudden we couldn't get processed foods – Well, there's a chicken breast. There's what would your kid wing, eat? The right. chicken leg. Is there, is there a chicken nugget? I don't think there's a nugget. Yeah, I don't know. So, so I, I actually – I thought, well, I'm going to look into this. I went to the grocery store. I looked at some, you know, chicken nuggets that, you know, you could buy different varieties, different brands. Did you look up dino nuggets? Because those are my favorite. I've seen those. Those are great. You I've bite the little those. legs. I out. might have actually looked at those. Um, some of the ingredient lists – yeah. That I looked at for chicken nuggets, more than thirty different substances in a chicken nugget, <laughs> and right? only half of those are actually in a chicken. Yeah, well, mo- most of the <laughs> ingredients that were, you know, the most significant, the first ones they list, had something to do with corn or some variation okay. of corn, like cornmeal, corn starch, uh, so they co- should corn be, oil, partially so they should be hydrogenated corn, nuggets. corn. Yeah, so they, they should be. What corn is nuggets. the deal? Um, but, you know, a lot of the other ingredients weren't even really anything related to food. Yeah. You know, like an actual something that is a food. It's, it's you know, some preservative or yeah. some coloring or, or whatever. Yeah, but more than 30 different ingredients in a chicken nugget. So, uh, so like what percentage is chicken? 
Yeah. Well, so so the question I have is, you know, if this mother and son were to find themselves, say, in some circumstance where there just literally were no right. chicken nuggets, there's nothing that can be done, the chicken nuggets are gone, would that boy really starve to death? No. No. He'd starve for a day. Yeah. He'd so, figure it out. So it might, it, might, it might take a little courage on parents' parts to just, you know, lay down the law and say, I'm sorry, but we don't do chicken nuggets in this house. Now, I've had mutinies in my own house, you know, <laughs> as I've learned over the years yeah. when, when our children were young. You know, we switched from uh, refined grain, white bread to whole grain. And, and I remember some of our boys were just like, I ain't eating that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, don't eat it then. And eventually, guess what? They get to a point yeah. where they eat it. And I've learned over time that as you expose yourself to certain kinds of foods, you, there, it might not be as palatable as the highly refined processed stuff you're used to. But over time, you actually acquire a taste for it. And my kids now will will actually prefer whole wheat really? grain bread over the yeah. refined grain. They feel like the refined grain has no taste, no substance. Mm. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not as hearty. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. So, so you can make a difference as a parent. Okay, so that answers that question. Uh, and here, here's a quote uh, too that I've always liked: "You can never eat or drink enough of what you don't need, because what you don't need can never satisfy you." Oh, okay? yeah, it's an endless pit. Yeah, you can never eat or drink enough of what you don't need. So okay? true to satisfy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I guess the idea here is, you know, you know, people will say that, you know, the food is so convenient. It's so cheap. It tastes so good. Uh, it's all I can afford. I mean, right. I hear all these arguments. Uh, well, well, sometimes obstacles are good for you, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. they make you stronger. They yeah. make you more resilient. They, they make you feel better. They make you feel like you've accomplished something. So I guess think about this, is the path of least resistance, which we tend to migrate towards, we're almost, it's almost ingrained into us. Yeah, we just kind of get downhill. In our technologically advanced society, whatever's the easiest must be the best. Well, maybe a little paradigm shift, a little, think a little differently about this. If something's hard, if if you feel like it's an obstacle, it might be worth pushing through, right? Because the path of least resistance probably isn't going to lead a place you want to be. So when they ask you what's the best thing, one of the best things is the harder thing. Yeah. The, sometimes the less palatable thing. Sure. The less the the you know the the fruit versus the microwaved whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so you know it people already know this, yeah. right? I I don't have to say I could ask anybody on the street, do you know that more fruits and vegetables is better for you than less fruits and vegetables? Nobody's going to act shocked like, right. "Whoa, I had no idea." Right. Nobody. So so my answer to the what is the best dot dot dot, no matter what it is, Good, honest, common sense. Now, sometimes you have to be educated in order. I don't mean like a formal education, but you got to spend time studying, learning, right. and figuring this out. Right. Uh, you know, in order to know what kind of common sense is going to work, right? But it, there is no there is no one yeah. size fits all answer for any of these. Yeah, questions, and quit Matt. looking for the silver bullet. Quit looking for the easy yeah. fix. I mean, yeah. it's still going to be hard. You don't have to buy your health. No, that's right. You just have to. You already have it. Yeah, you have it. You yeah. just have to maintain it, yeah. right? Keep yeah. it. Dr. Ron, we appreciate you. Ron, again, is the health evangelist. You can hear him here two times a month um, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. You can also look him up. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences right at Brigham Young University. We'll be back with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's send it down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Spencer and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Good morning. Matthew. How are you both? Well, Great. feeling better after uh, we talked about becoming more teachable yesterday. Yes. We had a long, insightful conversation on the humility that we need to bring to our show and our lives. <laughs> and feeling better about a lot of things. Wow. Yeah. It worked. It was a... Uh, <laughs> Special moment for That's us great. yesterday. Because today we're talking about tapeworms. Oh, good. Oh, that's a natural transition. Yeah, 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 I thought I had one when I came home from Korea. Did you? I, I couldn't gain weight. Oh, yeah, I did have. I had two. You had two? Uh-huh. Who? Slick and Slider, we called oh. them. Oh, Great, Jeez. guys. And um, But I, I just saw something on CNN, more than you'll ever want to know, about a guy that had a six-foot tapeworm. Oh. Yeah. But we don't want to get too into it because it really makes people sick. But you thought you had one? Well, for for a second, I was a little bit worried because I'm like, why why can I eat so much food and so much junk food and nothing happens? Like I well, that I shouldn't wanna, be something you are concerned and about. And I want to keep eating it, and it never <laughs> turns right. into anything. Right. So I'm like, I've I've got some sort of parasite in me. But isn't that that's when you learned it's just your bone structure? Yeah, well, that's when I learned that you can do that in your 20s, but you can't do that in your 30s. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Wait till you're in your 50s. Yeah, I was going to say wait wait a little or longer. Or your 40s. Man, it's bad. It's bad, you guys. I've been working out a lot lately, and I have this thing where I actually love it when I'm doing it, and then the next day, I just want to die. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Is that bad, Jason? Because you are one that I've I've seen your um, guns just as you walk by and mm-hmm. flex them, and mm-hmm. you know we we catch each other in the hall. Um, do you do you is it okay to be in such pain every other day? Here's the way I look at muscle pain. It lets you know you're doing it right. Really? Yeah, because it, if, if you're not sore, like if, if your body isn't sore, then you either aren't working it enough or your, your body's kind of used to it. You, you want yeah. to be reminded that you're doing I remember the, uh, the Utah Jazz did a media training camp one time, and I like to think I'm in pretty good shape. You but are they, in great shape. They put all of us in the media through an, an actual practice that the NBA players will go through. I kid you not, that was on a Wednesday. It wasn't until the next Monday that I could actually (laughs) take stairs and walk without significant soreness. And I'm not talking about just a little soreness. It hurt to walk. But you you really, and nobody gets, but you really are in great shape. Well, like I said, I like to think I'm in good shape, but that puts into perspective what yeah. these athletes go well, through. Well, no wonder they just sleep a lot, like on their day off, you know. They need to because they have to recover. that's what they're doing on a daily basis, yeah. it's intense. Does, um, boy, okay, here's a question, and I'm sure either of you can answer this, because it, you, if, can't you just get to a point where you're maintaining it and you're not sore all the time? Yeah. Jason, answer the question. Yeah, you can. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm kind of at that point right now. That's why I say. Okay. When you know, when you know <laughs> that you're, when you, when it starts to hurt a little bit more, you know, like, hey, I'm okay. I'm working something here. Okay, okay. But so, there's difference in soreness and pain. Yeah. You don't want to be in pain. What about blood blisters? Is that bad too? Yeah, blood blisters are no fun. Okay, mm-hmm. just checking. I'm Is just that checking. from dropping a heavy weight? That's from doing sit-ups. By the way, <laughs> I have by body the way, sores. If, if Jerem Jordan were here, he would call both of you out for the humble brag. Really? Matt, because you said, I've been working out a lot lately. <laughs> okay, but J- but Jerem has also seen me, and th- he would say, that's not, that's actually a pathetic brag. And then, and then Jason Shepard for, 
Well, I've actually hit that uh, level while I'm where I'm maintaining everything. <laughs> can, can we though all admit the and, upper dorsal? <laughs> can we good. just can we all agree that Facebook should be renamed Humblebrag? Oh, for yes, sure. Because for sure. Yes, I mean, yes, honestly, yes. we yeah. all do it. Like yeah. Facebook is nothing but Humblebrag. Oh yeah, and sometimes not so humble. <laughs> but don't Spencer, don't you dare think you didn't just brag when you're like, I've had a tapeworm. I mean, don't. That was bragging? You're such a braggart. Or I can eat whatever I want. I just can eat anything. (laughs) That was my reasoning. I was concerned because all of my friends were gaining weight after their missions. And everyone's like, what's wrong with you, man? I have a worm. I've got a tapeworm. I'm sporting a six foot tapeworm. (laughs) I'm starting a petition to change Facebook to Humble Brag. (laughs) Humblebrag.com. Let's do it. Let's do it. HB.com. <laughs> hey, um, well, you guys doing your show, though, right? That We're still we doing are. it? Okay. okay so yeah, let's... let's humble brag about how awesome <laughs> yes. the show is Let's today. hear about it. It's going to be good. How about the one hope for BYU basketball when the nation's number one team comes to Provo? What's the one, What's the one thing hope? that everybody feels has to happen for BYU to have a shot to stun the Currently undefeated, number one ranked Gonzaga. Oh, I know, I know. We Hmm? call their hotel room the night before. Wake them up. Wake them up. Give them no sleep. Wake them up all night long. We're going to ask that. I'm sure he will not go that direction, but we are going to ask that question to former BYU basketball player, defensive player of the year, Jackson Emery. Mm -hmm. He's going to join the show, so we'll uh, we'll ask him that very question and get his take on it. Good. You guys are the pros. Go go your way. Fine. I was just giving you my idea. We also have an NBA veteran. Yes. And the current women's basketball coach at BYU, Jeff Judkins. Jeff Judkins. Jamming with his opinions in Studio B. Oh, Jeff. Jamming with Jeff. And BYU punter Johnny Linehan is on a very special VIP recruiting trail, practical Jokers style. Ooh. Impractical Jokers style. Cool. Do we have time to ask you one quick question? Yes. What is your, what is your favorite Rocky movie? Oh, boy. Uh... Just the first one. Yeah, there you hey, go. Adrian. Context. Yeah. You got to start with the classic. You like the storyline, yeah. the classic They started version. bringing in all these other caricatures. I didn't like it. Uh, it's not Rocky IV is the best. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, is that when he took on a Russian? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's the best one. It's and according okay. to my poll question that I put out, it's leading 51%. Yes, and Jason has 3,000 followers that are under the age of 18. That's right. His scout troop. <laughs> They don't even know that Rocky one, two, and three are a That's thing. Right. Most hey, most most of the people that, that are at age probably only know Creed. That's so true. <laughs> Shut up, old man. Ooh, anyway. Ooh, that just got violent. Hey, um, okay, guys. Uh we're gonna let you go. I know you gotta get your tape born to bed, so um mm-hmm. get that out of there. Yeah. And we'll uh we'll see you after the show. Knock them dead. Sounds Thank you. Good, Peace friend. out, yo. That's cool. Yeah, Rocky four. That's the that's the one with the Russian. Growing up, Rocky Three was the best. You liked Rocky Three. Which one was that one? Oh, was Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Underlips in the flesh, baby. Yeah, but the, there's just the first one is the Rocky. That's Rocky. But he loses, and then it was sad. Oh, sorry. But he got the gal, didn't he? Yeah. Not so sad. But hey. then she died. Wow. A lot of people haven't seen it. You just ruined it. Well, you got to get like what? six I mean, movies into it before she dies. I mean, 30 years later? Yeah. 
you haven't seen it by now. You just <laughs> ruined it for you. Hey, uh, speaking of dangerous things, a Manchester, New Hampshire woman is facing charges after she injured herself with a sword and struck an officer in the face. This is crazy. Manchester police were called Monday night to a home where resident Lisa Bunker, by the way, I know Lisa. Um, she's a friend of mine. No, just kidding. Uh, told them that she was performing sword tricks uh, earlier in the evening and accidentally hit herself in the head, causing a small cut over her eye. Hoo-ya! Bunker's 37-year-old ex-husband tried to take the sword from her so she didn't injure herself further, but ended up cutting himself on both hands. While an officer was talking to Bunker, she started to demonstrate her sword tricks, even though she was no longer holding the sword. Apparently, she's probably under the influence of something. She struck the officer in the face with her hands during the demonstration, according to police. Bunker said uh, that uh, Bunk- or police said Bunker started to walk away, began swearing at them. When they tried to take her into custody, she curled up on the floor and hid her hands under her body, you know, so they didn't take her weapon away. I think she was on something. Maybe a tapeworm. Yeah, you know what? That's tapeworms gone bad right there. Got to watch out for that. Hey, our last story, of course, is a hero story. You know, we like to celebrate the heroes in our lives. Our hero today is an Ohio teen who zaps a cop with a stun gun to fulfill a bucket list wish. Newark, out of Newark, Ohio, police in central Ohio helped a teenager with leukemia cross off a bucket list item that was seriously shocking. She wanted to use a stun gun on someone. Sounds a little violent. 16-year-old Elisa Elkins got to do that Sunday after a bit of training from the Newark police. She zapped Sergeant Doug Blind, who is, uh, who'd been first among the police department employees who volunteered for the task. As a crowd of supporters watched, Blind winced and fell onto a mat guided by spotters. It's, it is unpleasant, to say the least, but for five seconds, it makes somebody's uh, dream come true, especially in her situation. I think it was well worth it, Blind said. She said, uh, Alyssa said, I'm very grateful that the people would put themselves out there to allow me to, to do that to them. So she thanked him. And uh, anyway, her family also thanked him as well. Pretty and then, cool. And then the heroes were the EMT providers. That's right. I mean, really, that's a big deal. Doing, getting tased for somebody. That's, you know, you don't have to be tased to be the hero. You could just actually bring your neighbor's garbage can in or serve them some way. That's the show, my friends. We will be back tomorrow to give you more hope, more ideas to live longer, love stronger lives. Until tomorrow, make it a great one, and let's look after each other.